Hello, welcome to Revelations Radio News. Today is Monday, July 7th, 2014, making it exactly one month since our last podcast. Uh, I just wanted to uh, do a quick uh, pre-show note, let everybody know uh, exactly what they're about to listen to here. Um, essentially, uh, Andrew has been switching jobs and moving. I've been very busy as well. I also uh, recently attended a wedding in Nashville of Tom Bionic. Now, for those of you that don't know, and this is the main reason I'm doing this uh, before show note situation thing. Uh, basically, uh, Tom Bionic was the co-host of the Future Quake podcast, which there'll be a link to the show notes for anybody that is new to our show. Future Quake podcast, of course, ran for 300 episodes con- covered all kinds of different topics. Anyway, um, I went and, and saw Tom Bionic in uh, Dr. Future, but Tom Bionic mainly was getting married. So uh, I started this, this episode off with uh, talking to Tom Bionic, then I uh, called Dr. Future on the fly, and then eventually got in contact with Andrew. Anyway, my point is, usually our show falls into one cat, one of three categories, either a feedback episode, an interviews episode, or a news episode. This is actually all three. And if you're new to the show, you don't know who Future Quake is, you don't know who Dr. Future is, you don't know who Tom Bionic is, you know, I encourage you to go ahead and skip the first hour. This is just us talking about uh, the way things went down at the wedding and, and a little bit of current events sprinkled in here or there. The last hour or so is um, Andrew and I and uh, Dr. Future talking about current events. So anyway... Uh, sorry for the unscheduled hiatus. I will try and keep up with shows as much as possible um, and get them out for you guys. So thanks again for listening and for all your support. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes if you get a chance, whatever your podcatcher is. Just uh, give us a, a rating on there if you like the show. If you don't like the show, you can hold on to your ratings. Also, um, what was the other one I always forget? Oh, you can follow Revelations Radio News on Twitter. And on Twitter, it, we basically, every story that we're going to cover or we find interesting automatically pops out on the RRN News Twitter feed. You could, of course, find the Twitter feed just by going to revelationsradionews.com and clicking on the Twitter icon on the right side of the screen. So without further ado, hope you guys enjoy this long, rambling, but fun podcast. This is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Coming to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington, where I am in a 100% restricted area. I am your host, Tim Kilkenny. And I am Mom Trionic. I am in a, I am in a uh, fully restricted area <laughs> um, where you have, to, you have to get past a locked door to get in. <laughs> so you've you've quarantined yourself away from uh, friends and family members that are out there uh, remaining from from the festivities this last week. Yeah, it's, it's guarded by a 
a a uh, a very large lab wiry labradoodle who will bark really loud if somebody gets too close and doesn't pet him. <laughs> Well, we do have some new listeners to the show, so let me let me backtrack and explain what what in the heck is going on. We have uh, not put out a show for almost a full month. Actually, by the time this show gets out, it'll probably be right near a full month. Uh, Andrew and I have both been really busy. Andrew is actually moving, and uh, I have been doing a lot of stuff, including preparing to go to Nashville to see the one, the only Tom Bionic, the co-star of Future Quake, uh, get married. And uh, so that was a, a pretty cool experience. Uh, a lot of fun there was had there. Uh, Nash- Nashville's a pretty fun place. Uh, you know, I could go on and on talk, talk about my, my trip there and naked body scanners and, uh, and uh, all that sort of stuff. But the fun part, though, was getting to see you and uh, also Dr. Future and uh, just, just kind of hang out and shoot the breeze a little bit and... Uh, yeah, the festivities went off. I, I said it yesterday. I said they went off without a hitch. But at a wedding, I think they're supposed to be a hitch. So I think went off without a problem. Yes. Went off without without any other unnecessary hitches. <laughs> there was one hitch, and that was us getting hitched. That's right. To each other. That's right. Uh, and, I don't, and I don't mean you and me. I mean me and my beautiful bride, Joy Tater. Joy Tater there, and she is beautiful. You know, she. Uh, she's, yeah. I, I was. Just, I was just wondering. You know, if she maybe had got you confused with somebody else and uh, was just you know making a, making a big mistake. But no, she is pretty beautiful, and even even better, she's uh, she's a listener to our show, is what I hear. So it's kind of neat to get you on yeah. the line and do a, a quick rundown. So awesome. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, Nashville was a lot of fun. Holy cow! It's a good. It's a fun city. I didn't even didn't even get my fill of it. Nashville is nothing but one big fat good time. It was. It was. There was. A, there was a lot of fun. Yeah, there's been a there's been a um, a real resurgence of uh, like good American food type eateries, lots of cool burger joints. Um, and I heard I heard that after after my wedding, you and you and Doctor Future and Brother Paul and uh, uh, you know your bride. Well, as Robert Hyde and his crew, and Adam Sane from Conspiracy Normal, all went down to the pharmacy. That's right. Yep, we went down Pretty and, cool. ha- and yeah. caught, a, caught a burger. Everybody was there except Robert Hyde. So, but yeah, Adam Sane oh, and Doctor Yeah, Doctor Future and everybody. It was a, it was a good time. Good time was had by all. Uh, of course, the, you know, the talk around the dinner table was very, very normal. Having Adam Sane sitting by Doctor Future. And uh, me sitting there as yeah. well. It was totally, totally, you know, normal, mundane stuff, you know. Well, any other uh, thing you wanted to say about your wedding? I mean, it was, it was a great wedding. Fun was had by all. Chris was there. Dr. Future was there. Any other thoughts? Um, you know, the, the thing that struck me the most about it, um, obviously, the, there's, there's big obviouses, and I'll mention some. Um my my bride, I married the most wonderful woman in the world. This is true. We got so we got that we got that down. We got that together. Um uh everything sort of came together, the plan came together um very well without any major snags. And that was nice. But the really cool thing was seeing two hundred and twenty five lot of my friends and family and church family and uh relatives distant and near 
and dear, dear brothers in the Lord, just all having a good time and being blessed by the whole thing. Yeah. Well, and that was, that, that was so touching to me. Um, not only did you and did you and the, and the uh, alternative Christian news radio crew head down to the burger joint and party and have a good time. My family and Joyce family all got together after the wedding was over. Uh, after dropping off a bunch of wedding related gear at the house here, they hightailed it over to the courtyard, uh, Marriott, where a bunch of them were staying. He just had a party and party till like midnight. My dad bought uh, half a dozen pizzas and all the kids went swimming and everybody just sat around and laughed and talked and joked until, until, uh, 12, 12 midnight. And, um, and, uh, some of our church friends got together and after the wedding, they just said, Oh, this is so much fun. We'll go do some more stuff. And, and that was to find, to see how many people were blessed by our wedding. Um, and made to feel special and they, you know, on the count of us getting together. Um, but just having a good time was really a blessing. It's like, it was good to see that many people that we know who are good folks, happy in one place. It was really special. And, and kudos goes to my beautiful bride. Cause she was talking about this for months and I didn't understand it. <laughs> I, I was like, I don't know. Like babe, it's like, babe, there are no mistakes in weddings. Let's just go down the aisle, like eat some pulled pork and then have get out of Dodge. She's like, no, you don't understand. We can make these people feel blessed. I yeah. think at one point she actually used that phrase, like we can bless everybody. And she was right. And she did it. And she slammed dunked. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I know the feeling, my friend. I did the I did the same thing about a, about a year ago, where you got all these people together, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and it just you you know you you provide the atmosphere, and uh, you know you know whether it's God or good people or whatever kind of you know mm-hmm. really is is uh, just a community, you know, and it's it's nice to have yeah. your community, you know, all in one place, and mm-hmm. and of course you know they're all good people, so of course they all like each other, and uh, it. it it works out pretty well. I heard mm-hmm. some weddings don't go as, as well, so I uh, I think we should uh, feel blessed in that way. Oh yeah, totally. I've been play- I've been at weddings where um, it's been pretty pretty lunatic fringe, you know. Yeah. Groom family fights bride's family. Yeah. With fists and, and broken bottles. Yeah, and dof- and alcohol mixed in there. Oh yeah, yeah, horrible. Yeah. yeah. Horrible best man speeches and. You know, just on and on and on. So, well, I yeah. made a joke about your wife earlier. So maybe she didn't she didn't aim high enough. But uh, in all honesty, I mean, she's she's really, you know, in the in the littlest in the uh, little time I did get to spend with her, she seemed like a very very nice person. And uh, you know, I, I should have warned her if I had a little more time. You know, you got you got your work cut out for you here. But you know, uh, she really seems to be a really great person, and I'm excited for you both. It seems like. Uh, you know, God's really been working on this relationship for a long time, and it's nice to see it all kind of come to fruition, you know. Turns out she was a Futurian, and then uh, she even listens to our show, so I guess she'll end up listening to this herself. So uh, I tip my cap yeah. to you, Joy. I tip my cap. Uh, <laughs> good work. Uh, and I do feel for you a little bit on this one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, she will. Uh, I'm sure she will listen into this and add some commentary. <laughs> there you Color go. Commentary. There you go. And we're then, going down the road listening. So. I was thinking to myself, you know, what would make this? What would really bring this little part of this podcast together? And I don't even know if this is going to be its own episode or it's going to be before our episode or what it what it's going to be. But I think the only way to do it would be a live on air call of Doctor Future to just try and uh, try and get a hold of him and uh, just get him, you know, uncensored. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I think I, I'm ready to give that a try. What, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Any predictions on how okay. this is going mean, to turn I out? Could... Oh, it, it might be good. It might be bad. I'll, I'll give it. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, I got all three of us on the call now. So Dr. Future, I got Mike Tater on the line. We're just doing a quick replay for the podcast fans out there of, of Future Quake and Revelations Radio News of the wedding kind of unscripted just calling you putting you on the spot here so this uh, this is on air uh, it's gonna be on air it's it's a sh- i can it's recorded so oh great well i better watch my <laughs> language then <laughs> precisely particularly I, mr tater that's right well mr tater and i were just discussing uh the lovely mrs tater and uh how she has a lot of work cut out for her Oh no! I think I think it's all going to go the other direction. I think he's going to reform her in his image. Sweet. You remember that song "Under My Thumb"? That's what I'm expecting. Yeah, I wasn't expecting this. I know you were. That's the fun I, part of it. I didn't know. You guys are just full of surprises. Well, I, I figured I'd get you on. You know, in. Uh, the the few minutes that uh, Mike has left here, uh, or that Tom Bionic has left, What's he's, he's to him? well, he's tired. He's getting ready to go to go off and go to bed. Oh, so I figured I thought you knew something I didn't know. I was afraid for a minute. <laughs> no, no, no. I just you fi- know, figured he could way, pass the way, I saw t- something. I, Mrs. Future and I, I think, saw a drone outside our house a few minutes ago. No, in the dark, it had different green and red flashing lights, and it was real small and was just flashing across the sky and hovering. Right over our house, going real high, hovering over the neighbor's house. It was the weirdest thing. Really? Yeah. Wow. We got live, you know, unidentified flying objects sighted on the show it tonight. Definitely. It just had flashing green. It looked sort of triangular from the shape of the lights, but it was dark, so I couldn't see. But it was almost silent. You could just only hear a whooshing sound. Wow. And uh, Mrs. Future and Pyro were witnesses to it. As well, too. In fact, she had called me outside to take a look at whoever was monitoring us. So I would expect probably uh, Revelations Radio News and the other shows on the network are going to get similar treatment. <laughs> well, I'm in like a restricted area right now. They're they're wiring up uh, uh, fireworks just a, a few, just a few hundred feet from me. So hopefully, there's no no drones flying overhead. It could yeah. be could be a catastrophe of epic proportions but it probably just triggered that fault that runs there through seattle and <laughs> that part of the ring of fire oh good oh good well tom bionic it's been it's been good to speak to you do you have any uh, parting thoughts anything you want to say to uh, the listeners out there or to dr future when we got him on the line um i will say that um dr future should be hired should hire himself out part-time as semi-professional best man material there you go because he did such a great job as my best man wow um, i have to say that i'm impressed 
Well, Tom Bionic, I sure appreciate a compliment like that coming from you. And uh, mm-hmm. it was good to get the old team together up in front of people, e- even if you were having to uh, make an oath in exchange for it. <laughs> and uh, I really appreciated the, the Freemasonic and Rosicrucian rituals that you went through on stage. The animal, the animal sacrifice and uh, like the blood where you all mix the blood together. So that was all amazing for the ceremony. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. And the wicker man you all left in. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you, Mike, you know, ever since you brought that stuff up, I was a little nervous about it, but. It seemed to kind yeah. of flow well with your folks there at the at the wedding. So, uh huh. That's right. By the way, I don't know if you all talked about this since I'm coming in right at the tail end, but it was basically a royal wedding of uh, Christian weirdness radio royalty, and we had the ultimate royal wedding on stage. I was privy to witness it, but uh, as I told the other guys. Uh, uh, Mr. Bionic, I, next time I want everyone representing different shows to wear tails and to have a big sash across their their chest with the mm-hmm. name of their show written across it, mm-hmm. so they could all get proper protocol and the dignity afforded to them when they attended this uh, royal wedding. I think I think representatives of Iron Show were there, Revelations Radio Network, um, Nowhere to Run, mm-hmm. Future Quake, Conspiracy Normal. Anybody else, Tim? Uh, Revelations Radio News. Yeah, I thought I said that. I thought yeah. I said y'all so we, we had the major royalty there uh, represented. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things we were all hoping and praying that there wasn't going to be a terrorist attack there. And uh, I still think we should have had somebody from the network away from the premises, just like the State of the Union address. Well, see, that's why Andrew so wasn't get- there. He was, he, was, he was holding up his end of the bargain. Okay, so under continuity of Weirdness Radio, he would be able to continue to operate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, I guess fringe radio is the common term for used a lot of it, but we, we had him there in spades, and uh, it was a beautiful event, and uh, it was spiritually edifying. It was. On all fronts, it was. and uh, um, it was unforgettable, and... Uh, I think all all the Futurians out there and other listeners to the network uh, would have loved to have been there to see it. It was a beautiful thing, and uh, just all the good vibes we've all had for each other over the years really culminated there. And uh, of all things, you'd find a Futurian bride that uh, came because yeah, of no, the how future. awesome is that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess she got the I guess she got the ultimate. Uh, best treat of all the listeners. He landed a, a host. So, uh, but uh, we, we just wish the best for you all. And, and Brother Tim, I had a blast with yeah. you. Yeah, that was... And uh, uh, it was the whole the whole gang that was together was uh, was just, was fantastic. And uh, something would be fun to do again some more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well... I uh, I appreciate you guys coming on right away in uh, with in impromptu like this, and uh, I just wanted to give the listeners just a little bit of uh, a taste of what we just experienced and why you know it's been so long since we've done a podcast. And I was thinking about how am I gonna how am I gonna review this story without uh, without hearing from both of you guys and giving a giving a true representation of uh, as you put it the uh, true. Uh, Christian podcast weirdness that was uh, present there, but yeah. you know, to be honest, we were outnumbered by normal people. So, 
Well, <laughs> if you knew our church better, you wouldn't think that. <laughs> we are leads in there. But uh, I hate to see hero Tom Bionic's got to go. I guess the, his old lady Bionic get on his case. No, all, no. I actually, I, only, I promised him it'd be short, and uh, I promised him, of course, I, I started up late. You know, it's a tradition that started with Future Quake, and I kept it going. Well, you know, I I tried to give him some some great advice from Doctor Future before, right before the ceremony. I said, you know, I didn't know what true happiness was until I got married, but then it was too late. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> well, Mister Bionic, it's been a pleasure to have you. If you want to go ahead and head off, any parting words you have for us? I'll I'll try and keep Mister Future on the line for here for a few more minutes. But if you had anything for us, we'd be happy to hear from you. Any any words from the li- for the listeners there? My wife is amazing, and I'll just leave it at that. And I'm and I'm incredibly happy. Yay me! Yay you! Well, congratulations Yay. again, man. Hey, yeah. hey, brother Tim, I go. I, I need to say something publicly in okay. front of Tom Bionic before okay. he hangs up. Okay. I, I pers- personally, during this very trying and testing time over the weekend, saw Tom Bionic get belted right before the wedding. <laughs> Is this really a and thing? I yes, I saw him get belted, and I could tell him. I want to say this publicly on air that I still haven't re- received my belt back that he borrowed from me. So. Oh yeah, uh, I helped him get belted. So, um, you know, I guess that was what they were supposed to do. Had like something borrowed, something new, or something like that. So, I don't, you know, the old uh, traditional yep. thing there. So, sure. I gave him yep. one of my old belts. So, unfortunately, it could wrap around him about three times <laughs> for him to wear it. But uh, yeah, I actually used little... the suspenders. Yeah, they were they were that big. <laughs> Yeah, he actually, that was his little bit of Dr. Future he took with him on the honeymoon. So, uh, yeah. So one day I hope to see them. Maybe before uh, his 25th anniversary, I'll get my belt back. But other than that, it was a, it was certainly a wonderful time. And Tom Bionic, before you get out there, I just want to tell you, I love you, brother, and love Mrs. Bionic very much. And look forward to many years as we grow old together here. Yeah, man, me too. Me too. Yay, Tom Bionic and Doctor Future. <laughs> thanks for coming on in this. Uh, you know, you had, you had a short time. You got a lot of family around, and thanks for making a little time for us. Yeah, man. And and may your future right, always be bright, Tom Bionic. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you later. All right, man. Be blessed. All right, you still there? Glad you got that guy out there. That guy was getting me down. <laughs> <laughs> how have uh, how have things been for you since I left? I well, by the way, I had to listen to that guy for seven years, so I needed a break. <laughs> well, uh, oh, you know I me. Another, gonna... I have another co-host coming on here uh, about ten or fifteen minutes, and uh, he might, you know, you know, you might have a few words for him. So I just thought I'd, I'd yeah, I'll I'd, have a few words for him. <laughs> I just thought I'd talk to you a little bit. Yeah. But what, what were you saying there? Oh, uh, oh! It was uh, it was a great time, but you know, Doc's getting a little old, and uh, we had some other company with us. So we we were together for early morning to the wee hours, and uh, trying to keep up a few odds and ends in between that a few hours of sleep. And I'm getting a little old for that. I I was a little winded, 
after you guys had your whirlwind uh, party long weekend. So i uh, just been picking up the pieces, getting back to uh, writing the manuscript and answering some emails from Futurians that went unanswered for a few days and, you know, that kind of thing. Back to my boring existence as a shut-in, basically, and <laughs> forgotten by the world. Forgotten by the world. <laughs> you're not, you're, you are not forgotten in any way. Uh, you sure? I'm you sure, sure I'm not the buggy whip of Christian radio? <laughs> no, def- definitely not. Definitely not. So, do you want to give us a, a just a quick update, like how you, how things have been going with the book or anything like that? Yeah. No, I will give you a long-winded and verbose update <laughs> to <laughs> maintain my reputation. You're... I gotta I gotta speak long enough till you get uncomfortable in the chair. Uh, <laughs> things are going wonderful. People have caught me on shows like Canary Cry or something when I uh, yeah. they twist my arm and I come heard, on. And so it's show. the same old story. Yeah, it's the same old story with me. Um, I am trying to wrap up the next to last volume of the five volume series, and uh, you know this whole Bible thing. Once you open up the Bible, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody because once you get into it. It's hard to put it down, and it's hard for somebody like me to shut up about it. And so a lot of new material is being added to the historical information on the Holy War Chronicles, a spiritual view of the war on terror. And uh, it's going to be the kitchen sink when people get it. So I appreciate everybody's patience. Um, don't make any lasting decisions. In fact, I would recommend nobody go to war until they receive my books and read them beforehand. So no no life or death decisions for anybody until they take a gander, and hopefully I can make a good pitch for uh, some sanity and some Christ-likeness. At least that's my intention. But uh, writing's going very well, and as uh, soon as these are done, I'm gonna, my goal is to roll these out probably about two months apart just to give us enough time to talk about each one when it rolls out. Everyone's a different facet of holy wars and religious conflicts and the war on terror and uh, tries to leave no stone unturned. So uh, cranking out probably, you know, five to ten pages of manuscript a day on a good day. Wow. Five to ten pages uh, a day is a... A lot of research, though. A lot of books, tens of thousands of references. The neat thing we live in today, except for like a few old books, everything else I cite uh, is uh, hot-linked. And so either you can type the the uh, URL from the internet site where I get my information, or uh, you know if you've got something like a, when a Kindle version comes out, you, I guess you can click on it, and go to it. And so people can do their own due diligence, and uh, I think they're going to find I have some provocative things to say that um, if if they listen to Revelations Radio News, they're they're going to be pretty well prepped to expect to hear a different view than what mainstream Christian radio, much less mainstream radio, tells them about how things work in the world. And uh, hopefully it's just a nice organized reference that they can pass on to their relatives or other people who think they're crazy because they listen to shows like yours. And it'll provide some additional information to sort of bolster their arguments. Well, that is something that we uh, we do t- often talk about. You know, we even, we even had a crazy show just recently called No Thank You for Your Service and just talked about, you know, because I'm one of these... Uh, I'm one of these... Uh, you know, former servicemen, and I uh, constantly have people coming up and thanking me on Memorial Day and whatnot. Thank you for your service. And mm-hmm. could, oh, tomorrow, I guess I get to have more people come up and thank me for their service. But it always makes me feel really awkward 
And then Andrew yeah. Andrew pointed out something you know that was probably pretty easy to to point out, but he did he did ask, hey, has anyone ever asked you how you feel about <laughs> you know uh, those you know what what your service was like you know uh, yeah. and uh, of course no one ever has so that's something that we talked about recently and and uh, I think it you know you talked about on on Future Quake we should be listening as far as overseas matters are concerned we should be listening to what our Christian missionaries are saying, because a lot of them yeah. are saying different things than what the yeah. mainstream media is saying. On the other hand, in the civilian world, maybe we should be say, listening to what the service members who come back are saying, because to be honest, they're not saying much. They're committing suicide in, in large numbers, right. they're, and they're largely forgotten, only uh, trotted out to feel awkward in front of a group of people on a day like tomorrow where everybody's waving their flag and super excited about uh team america i mean i don't know uh, i don't know what they're excited about and i don't know that they do but it's kind of just a, a visceral knee-jerk reaction thank you for your service and it's like i never know what to say so uh, uh i think andrew gave me a, a quip to come back with but I, I may have already forgot it or thank i think he's told me to tell him thank you for not serving <laughs> so i don't know what well do you, what you know do you what i that? mean if you do if you do say something i think I think you you could say something certainly like, "Hey, I'm finding new ways to serve serve my neighbor," and uh, taking up your cross is the best way to do service for your community. Yeah, that's it. And uh, that's you know we need to think in terms of our community, our society, rather than artificial geographical lines drawn. Let's think about how Christ viewed the world. And he was definitely, I guess you could say, in conspiracy talk, he was the ultimate globalist. Because uh, although he sent the apostles first to Jerusalem and Judea, he definitely had an agenda that took them to all parts of the globe. Right. And he he talks about how many will come from the east and west and sit down and in feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so um, when we get into nationalism and things like this, we can be grateful that the Lord, through through no act of our own, and certainly not because we're one bit better than anybody else across the world, but he's given us an opportunity to live in a place where we can express ourselves. And the best way to show gratitude is to use that opportunity and maybe do a podcast or speak up and do your homework and act like a responsible citizen. Uh, don't don't just be a dope that follows everybody and then just tries to entertain yourself with pastimes 100% of the time. Get out there and accept your responsibility because we live, at least theoretically, under the rules of self-government. And if that's the case, then we bear the responsibility for governing our land, or at least a little piece of it. And so God has a lot to say in the Bible about what he expects from rulers. And I think that applies to you and me. Sure. So it does not allow us to be passive. If if we were under Rome, then there wouldn't be much we could do about it. And that's why I'm sure in Romans 13 it says, you know, don't make a scene on something where that's not your responsibility. You just take care of the things that you've got to do. And uh, we've been given some additional responsibilities. Uh, they're not to take the place of our primary calling, which is, is to advance the kingdom of God. But... Uh, that's that's part of what we get for getting a free society is responsibilities. And so being uninformed is shirking your responsibility. 
that's that's a uh, that's an interesting interesting way to put it. I'm I'm right with you on uh, on all of that. I don't I'm not quite sure. I'm probably not where you are with the voting, but uh, I know that that is. Uh, I've always really respected your stance on all that. That you know we are our own rulers as the way the constitution is set up, and so we should act accordingly uh, and try and be salt and light. So uh, you know. In order to do that, I think that we got to try and get more people like, uh, you know, James Dobson and uh, Glenn Beck and those sort of guys. On you know, mm-hmm. we we got to start uh, following their models, right? Oh yes, who who uh, desire the kingdom on earth rather than having the uh, the, the <laughs> Christian Maccabees, <laughs> the, the Christian Sicari. Well. That, uh, I joke. I'm sorry. I joke because I know that uh, you and I uh, have the same feelings and are and are as frustrated by the same people. Actually, I don't know if I'm as frustrated as you, um, a person who has decided to stop and write ten thousand pages of uh, research on the topic. Screed. <laughs> it's a it's just a hateful screed. Is what I'm writing. <laughs> well, you know, and sometimes you know, sometimes I think it is uh, all right to be angry about stuff, uh, injustice. I think uh, you know. God gets a little uh, upset about some injustices in the Old Testament and the, in the New. Uh, so I think that, you know, there's a place for that. Yeah, well, I think when most people read my writing, they'll assume it's due to chemical imbalances. <laughs> well, you do. Hopefully live. they'll give me benefit of the doubt. Yeah, one one person I have allowed, through much pestering, a close friend of ours, to, to glance at one of the volumes uh-huh. To because it's not been edited yet or broken the chapters, sure. and it actually uh, he, he said it moved him emotionally. Okay, and I and I think that's great. Unfortunately, he's somebody who I think's already on the same page anyway. So uh, I I can't chalk it up to someone who, who's been moved or changed. But uh, I'm I'm hoping that that's what it does. It actually stirs people's hearts, and um, that's why I my hope that the Lord will do a special work that can get into the hands of people who would find it particularly offensive because that will be the people for whom it will be most useful ultimately. Well, I can think of a few people that'll be offended by it. So I'll have to, I'll have to scoop up a few copies and, and, and get them out there. I can definitely, well, what, the tens of thousands who are offended by your show would probably be a good start. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if you keep a big fat folder of all the people who complain <laughs> about it, but, I'd like that mailing list if it's if it's not too big a file to send on email. Well, no. To be honest, our our podcast is very small compared to to Future Quake, and we don't get a lot of hateful emails. The only uh, emails we get are actually pretty pretty good. Yeah. So I think. Uh, yeah, I know mine. Mine too have been bouncing back. Oh, have they? So you'd have some more hateful emails, but I just I somehow couldn't get them through. So. Well, speaking of emails, I had one I wanted to share with you here. I got we got this. This came from a listener to our show named Betsy. She said, "Hi Tim and Andrew. This message is long overdue. Just want to thank you for your, all the hard work you put in the show. My husband and I both listen to every episode and enjoy it immensely. I stay at home with our two children under three, and I'm quite busy with them. So your show is my main source of news a lot of weeks. In some ways, you have ruined our lives because now we have to think about everything." <laughs> Well, Andrew's book did that too, but we genuinely appreciate that about the book and your show. And as a former NPR junkie, it's good for me to not just ingest what they want me uh, to anymore. Please keep up the good work. I know you're both incredibly busy and appreciate you taking the time to make this quality show. In Christ, Betsy. P.S. If you didn't give Dr. Future such a hard time about his books on your show, 
he would have given that last interview to you instead of the recent one to Canary Cry. Hey, brother, brother Tim. Yes, sir. The NSA is is messing with our connection. Okay. It it, it broke out about four or five times when you were reading that. Okay. Uh, I caught the gist of it. I think the main thing that I that I caught it was interrupted me or just blanked the fountain. There's a guy out here with a truck and a satellite dish parked outside of my house. It may have something to do with it. <laughs> Either that or the guy with the big shears cutting the wires on the pole. But uh, it sounded like they were speaking up on my behalf uh, because of, uh, I guess, I'm constantly berated, maybe by your co-host or something <laughs> on there, and yep. they they felt pity for me. Yep. Is that it? Yep, this is it. Yeah, well, you know... It, uh, your co-host reminds me a lot of Saul of Tarsus, who okay. breathed fiery threats against the Christians, mm-hmm. and you know, created terror amongst their ranks. And I, that's how I, so I, what I think of uh, Mr. Hoffman in a similar way. Okay. In fact, probably those guys that are on the cover of his book mm-hmm. would probably be too terrified to have him in their midst. <laughs> that might be true. I got another one he, here. He's probably too fierce for their. Uh, their company. I got another one here from Craig. He says, hey guys, I like the show. You guys have any updates on our beloved Dr. Future's books? I can't find any online. Also really likes your Romans 13 show a while back. Controversy sells, I guess. Congrats on making Corbett's top podcast he listens to. Wow. I envy that. He, he's probably never heard of the quake before since it's yesterday's news and the pre-Cambrian era of radio. <laughs> but, uh, it, that's uh, you know that that's really great to hear that someone like himself is appreciating quality work that you all do. That's and uh, it's exciting for me from a distance to watch that and uh, to know that there's still a testimony out there. Something somebody is making an impact. Sure. We actually and we actually got another um, email from another person who just found us through James Corbett, and this was just recently. Hey guys, I found you through James Corbett's podcast, and I must say I really enjoy listening to several of your can I call them banterings, hard hitting yet easy to listen to, and some of your comments are more likely to strike a chord with the average American and help them to change, such as the constant little news items about Father's Day and the military surprising their loved ones. One of you said, wonder if the dad didn't have to go to war and was actually able to be there for his children. How I wish the talent, I had the talent to produce a commercial with a stay-at-home anti-war dad suddenly poking his head into the middle of such a scene to announce, now this Dad is a critical thinker, someone who knows how to take care of his family and the world by staying out of war. Thanks, guys. I will continue listening to you, and please say hello to my favorite mountain, Mount Rainier, as I write to you from my second favorite, Mount Hood, Melinda from Portland. Okay. You know, um, on the topic you were just talking about with that lady, what I did catch about uh, about not going to war, sure. um, I recommend to all your listeners what we mentioned on Future Quake, that they should catch the blog of Will Grigg. Okay. Uh, freedominourtime.blogspot.com. And he had a very important blog. There was a couple of them that were just sort of transcendental posts that were just fundamentally ideological that re- changed how I thought fundamentally about things. And one of them was about the nature of nationalism and how it's changed in the last hundred years. And I'm sure Mr. Corbett's spoken about this and so have you. 
But uh, what he says in this post, and he goes back to the ancient Greeks and the battles in Troy and these other things, and how um, anytime there was a family crisis, even amongst one of the military heroes, they always put family before their nation. And if there was a, a situation where they even had to bury a father or do something else, they left the battlefield, even at crit- critical junctions, because it was clearly understood that their immediate family relations always took precedence over uh, issues of the nation. And that that really stood the test for millennia until really this modern era with, with the nation-state and a bill of goods that we've been sold that our primary devotion is to our nation. Uh, an artificial set of geographical boundaries that were, you know, we're told in mythology that uh, this sort of Disneyfication of our, our country, that it was made just solely by by God's hands completely, and, and we have sort of a, a goal or a purpose just like ancient Israel did. But in reality, these things are made sort of like making sausage, <laughs> very arbitrarily, very ugly, very human-spirited and how it comes about, you know. And the nation-state's no different, but yet we have been basically conditioned to to romanticize the nation-state in the last hundred years. And leading up to World War One, and even in Europe before this, the Crimean War and things like that, people started understanding there was something wrong with that. And, and when World War One introduced automatic weapons, when you when you had a commander just tell a bunch of guys to jump out of the trench and just all all their young lives stuffed out in a second, you know, in front of a Maxim machine gun, they they began to realize that this blind loyalty and all of this patriotism that was pumping people, that that jumping out in front of that bullet and the machine gun was somehow bringing glory to your family and your people, uh, they began to see the fallacy in that. But it has not penetrated through much of America. Mm. And, of course, uh, Vietnam was a was a real touchstone and, a, you know, a, a crest in that uh, advancement when people were really asking questions about it. And then you had returning Vietnam vets, and you had many that were still true blue, ready to go back. If we just had a few more troops, we would have won. But you had a lot of other guys who, who were very... Uh, disillusioned sure. with their experience there. And so uh, I recommend anybody, if you can go back and somehow keyword search that through Will Griggs' site, okay. where he, he explains the fundamentals of how cultures have changed in the last hundred years for us to switch and put the nation state at the top of our list. And this is really pertinent here the day before July the 4th. Not, not to rain on anybody's 4th of July parade, but um, it's important as Christians, in particular, Christians have a higher duty, or, or anyone of faith, uh, to actually spend a lot of time figuring out the rank ordering of your priorities, because most of us in our life are going to come to a point where we're going to have to choose which one's higher, and the stakes will be high on what we choose. It might cost our life, might impact our families, uh, many other things cost us our job, our freedom. Uh, on where we where we rank order those things, and we, I would suggest everybody get a Bible and try to turn out everything else and sort that out in their own mind, and not let some talking head, even if they're behind a pulpit, uh, tell you what it ought to be. That's very well put. 
Very well put. Well, Dr. Future, since you came on without uh, any kind of prompting or uh, warning, I was going to give you an opportunity to ambush my co-host. So he's ready to go. He's 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 in the saddle waiting for me to give him the, the bat signal to start our podcast. Um, you know, I think I might be able to just hang up on you and call you right back, maybe improve the connection. And then I can just start the show with him and you can just feel free to jump in and let him know you're there whenever. That sounds wonderful. I will stand back. Hello. Hello. Who's on the line there with you? What's that? Who's on the line with you? Oh, you could tell there's somebody on the line? Yeah. Oh, well, that that ruins my... My name is Doc Future. How do you do? <laughs> now you're going to die. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a droid. Uh-huh. Dr. Future droid? It's a droid. That he, he's been reproduced and uploaded into a uh, mainframe computer. Wow, nice. And I have infinite power over you now. And wow. I've, I've been taking names. And I've been <laughs> listening to past uh, Revelations radio news shows. Well, there's not too many of them, so probably count right up. <laughs> yeah. I just listen to them when my name pops up. My, my buddies at the NSA send me a tip. Oh, there you go. Uh huh. And I, I hear somebody's been taking my name in vain. <laughs> I didn't realize you were a deity uploaded, Doctor Future. Well, you know, there's a lot of power here. I don't like to uh, flaunt it too much. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I've been hearing some uh, some nasty things being said about uh, my tardiness. <laughs> on uh, publication. Is and of course, you know, if anybody would actually have any complaints, particularly since they know several means by which to contact me, all they would need for an update is to <laughs> take a quick moment of their time and pick up a local telephone, uh, email, even even survey the Akashic Records, whatever it takes <laughs> yeah. for them there to pursue go. me. And I would certainly let them know that uh, someone has been very, very busy on this end, preparing lots of material that in its right time, like Paul Masson wine, we will serve no conspiracy writing before it's time. <laughs> there, well, there will be information forthcoming. Did uh, Tim share with you the email we got today? Someone well, was... uh, intermittently, we've had NSA problems. Uh, we've okay. had a lot of phone interruption in the middle of it but just uh, to catch I, I, I did somebody was coming to my defense it sounded like <laughs> well just to catch you up real quick andrew because uh i was gonna let him ambush you but i guess you saw the call real quick tom bionic for a quick review of his wedding uh ceremonies and then we got we called dr future unplanned he just picks up the phone and starts producing content that's how you know that's how dr future that's how it works and yep. uh, I uh, here I w- here I was in the gentleman's club, and I had to step outside <laughs> when the phone rang. So, so we've even reviewed a few emails. We were even talking about the uh, upcoming Fourth of July. So, Andrew, uh, now we put you on the spot. Feel free to jump in with both feet. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Round about the middle. So. <laughs> Round about the middle. You are Andrew Hoffman, and where are you coming to us from? For the final time from 
Yakima, Washington. All right. And uh, so I've been gone to Nashville for some festivities of conspiracy Christian weirdness, as uh, Dr. Future put it. And uh, you have been doing other things here. Hey, by the way, have the feds finally caught up with you, Hoffman? Is that why you're having to move to another town again like before? <laughs> uh, no, this is something different. Oh, it's something different this time. Okay. Yeah. So it's not the witness protection program or you're just not having to sh- shovel off like a gypsy to the next yeah. town and set up your wares. I'm uh, getting out of the hotel business, moving on to hopefully greener pastures. There. Yeah. Well, were you, were you thinking about selling grit or something? Or <laughs> I'll be uh, I'll be selling internet services, in particular, for an internet service provider. Okay. So, will you be placing those calls that I usually hang up on? No. No. Or do you tell me that like my computer has a virus and for twenty dollars <laughs> you will fix it? <laughs> no. Uh. Business to business sales. So, okay, okay. Anyway, I was wow. just trying to fill a uh, fill the void of our, our month being gone. We've got some positive uh, emails. We've even got a mention from James Corbett that he listens to us, and uh, I was just like I said, trying to catch everybody up on where we've been for the last month. And it's been a slow news month. Thank goodness there wasn't anything to cover happening in the world. Uh, there was, you know, we didn't feel any need to step forward because nothing had really happened, right? Well, there's, it's the same old, same old, I guess you could say. You know, uh, re- ISIS, ISIL, um, blowing stuff up, saying we need to blow more stuff up. Uh, Republicans saying we're, Obama doesn't want to blow enough stuff up and <laughs> then Democrats getting behind the warmonger Obama and defending them and saying, well, this is the, this is the just war that, he, that he's doing now. So. Yeah, this is the just war. So doc- but who cares? Who cares? Because Hobby Lobby. <laughs> That's right. Who cares? Post it on your Facebook. Hobby Lobby wins. T- post on your Twitter, post it on your Facebook, change your icon. Hobby Lobby wins in court case. We're all we're all good now. So, Doctor Future, are you ready to come along for the ride of the Revelations Radio News Show? We'd love to hear your input. You guys just sound like a bunch of Islamo fascists <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned ISIS because um, before I was rudely interrupted with a telephone call, uh, I uh, Mrs. Future was watching uh, a CNN special on the '60s, and they were just talking about the Bay of Pigs. Mm-hmm. And I happen just to think how ironic it was that we've basically put ourselves with the uh, the terrorist of choice that we've hooked up to, that we basically have had one Bay of Pigs operation after another during the war on terror. And oh, we yeah. put all our chips with one, one group in Iraq or Syria or whatever, and then they're wiped out, and then all of our weapons taxpayers paid for are given to our enemies, and then we support those enemies, and then they get conquered by somebody more evil than they take the weapons. And so I guess it really has been a uh, a, a foreign uh, a foreign money transfer, you know, like how we do supposedly for developing nations, only we're just giving them weapons indirectly and uh, allowing them to duke it out right now. Hey, I've been hearing some stuff in the last day or so that supposedly July was supposed to be some kind of 
big wing-ding, and that's why Edward Snowden is going to release all his documents to try to stop an expected July conflagration, and that uh, this may be tied to some of these bizarre tweets about missiles that have been hitting the Demona reactor in Israel. Hmm. Any of this ring a bell to any of you two? Yeah, I think uh, I've heard, I've, I've definitely seen the increase in... Uh... Nuclear talk is kind of like a, but it's been more of a, a dirty bomb theme. But there also has been a, a, a surge in Israeli uh, chatter as well. Yeah, of course, I only get my news from uh, World Net Daily and Debka, so hopefully, I'm getting the balanced story. Well, speaking <laughs> of World Net Daily, I had this. I want let me let me. We actually have a World Net Daily story to talk about in our little secret folder we got here. Uh, and I, I read this and I think that I talked to you about this when I saw you in person, Dr. Future. And I didn't know when I read this article, whether they were doing a caricature of themselves or if they're like, if it almost seemed like an onion news article. So I, okay. I, I don't know whether it, so here it is Uh blowback U S trained ISIS at secret Jordan base. Syrian rebels, who would later join the Islamic State of Iraq and, and the Levant, or ISIS, were trained in 2012 by U.S. instructors working at a secret base in Jordan, according to informed Jordanian officials. The officials said dozens of the future ISIS members were trained at the time as part of a covert aid to the insurgents targeting the regime of Syrian President Bashir al-Assad. The officials said the training was not meant to be used for any future campaign in Iraq. The Jordanian officials said all ISIS members who received U.S. training to fight in Syria were first vetted for any links to extremist groups like Al-Qaeda. In February 2012, World Net Daily was... The, we, go ahead. We, can't, we can't vet the TSA agents, but we can vet people <laughs> on the other side of the planet. <laughs> yeah. In February 2012, World Net Daily was the first to report the USA... Turkey and Jordan were running a training base for the Syrian rebels in the Jordanian town of Safawi in the country's northern desert region. That report has since been corroborated by numerous other media outlets. Anyway, on and on. You get the point. Americans were training rebels in Jordan. Uh, I, I just couldn't... The, the title just kills me. Is it, is it blowback? Really? Yeah, they call hisses, hisses and boos when... Uh, when uh, Ron Paul mentioned at the debates, right, almost as much as when he said at the uh, South Carolina debate during the Bible Belt, and he said that our foreign policy should uh, exhibit Christ's golden rule, and all the Christians in the audience booed him soundly yep. for yep. Uh, for mentioning uh, you know Christ's commands. I still find uh, find the title ironic. Blowback. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, this is planned. This isn't. Blow, this, this is not like something that we didn't see coming. This is exactly what we wanted. But don't you know that that all of that activity only started under the Obama administration? <laughs> okay. We had kept our nose completely clean. Right. Until Everything the was going man said, great. Yeah. Of course, there is the fact that. Uh, and I and I talk about this in the first volume of my book series that uh, when they found all of the uh, the most hateful jihadist literature in Afghanistan when our troops went in out of the madrasas, it all said uh, printed at the University of Nebraska uh, by a <laughs> federal government contract. Uh, all that was printed by the U.S. government that right. trained all those jihadist camps, 
and the actual uh, Taliban were flown into Nebraska and were trained there. They were trained in how to make bombs and roadside bombs and all that kind of stuff. We had our uh, Green Berets actually train those guys. And so, you know, no wonder they're so effective fighting this because they've been trained by us. And, uh, you know, this this goes all the way back to uh, the turn of the century, 20th century. When uh, in in the in the beginning of Volume One, trying to I go back at least that far, and, and I show evidence that shows the British intelligence actually founding the Muslim Brotherhood, and the whole purpose why they had founded the radical Islamic movement to counteract the secular independence movements in the colonies, uh, in the Middle East that that British controlled in which they had oil rights. And, and how the Americans learned from them and did the same thing with the Wahhabis to help them underwrite the House of Saud. And in fact, even Israel admits, and the uh, head of Mossad has admitted this, the American ambassador to Israel has admitted it, uh, several other top officials in Israel, that they founded Hamas to counteract the secular PLO, and that they actually initiated radical Islamic uh, group Hamas to provide a balance of power, and if necessary, to sabotage peace process. When when it would be close to establishing peace, all they had to do was uh, initiate them to get things rolling. So, you know, what's the news here? Um, the, the 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 engineering of this goes back a hundred years. Uh, even the paying of the uh, the Muslim uh, attackers in Iran to overthrow the democratic secular government in Iran in 1953. So these guys have been the payroll. We've been the kingpins for a long time of radical Islamic operations. That, that can't be true. I just recently watched a movie with Ben Affleck that says that uh, that that was an organic movement that started there, and they had to evacuate a, uh, a movie team out of there. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, in Iran. Yeah, in yeah. Iran. Yeah. You know, I they believe, had a lot of help from the CIA in making that movie. I believe, <laughs> yes, and we've covered that. Actually, uh, that's something yeah. that we should share with you, but uh, another podcaster, uh, one that you may not know, actually came out with a uh, list. Uh, he did a Freedom of Information Act from the DOD, uh, asking yeah. them uh, for a list, a comprehensive list of all of the movies that they have funded or put money into. Uh, or okay. been a uh, a consultant on the, the the creation of the movie, and they sent him a list. <laughs> so he he published it. I'll have to send that your way. But wow. uh, Argo, were there any? Real, yeah, I would definitely like to cite them. Were there any surprising ones on the list? Ernest saves Christmas. I think it's got to be. That, I was going to say Ernest goes to jail. <laughs> you and I are on the same wavelength. No, but the, it, it really is on there. <laughs> no, you you got to be pulling my leg. No, I'm not. <laughs> well, when I thought it couldn't get worse, <laughs> Ernest B. Worrell, you know, he's from right here in town. Well, that doesn't surprise me. The old, old Lee Greenfield's, I mean, Lee Greenwood's from there. And Greenfield, both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're proud to be an American. I actually, that was my original uh, reason for going to Nashville. I just swung by to see you and, uh, you know, Tom Bionic get married, but it was to pay homage to, uh, to, uh, Lee Greenwood. So, what about the little idol statue of Billy Graham? Did you go see that downtown? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That little Nebuchadnezzar I, statue. I did. I also saw the life-size Parthenon. It's a uh, it's an interesting little town you guys got there. Yeah, it's the buckle of the Bible Belt. There you go. 
Hey, yeah, it's um, sort of like the temple in Ezekiel 8. You can, <laughs> I want to read that, folks. Well, speaking of weird little things, Tim, have you ever been to the um, Washington Stonehenge? I have not. It's a, a um, recreation of Stonehenge that is supposedly a World War I memorial. Uh, don't ask me how it's a World War One memorial, other than they list some people's names that were killed in World War One. But yeah, um, replication of Stonehenge. Where? Uh, it is just um, south of Goldendale. Okay, and that is. Do you think David Barton includes that fact in his videos and documentaries? Um, well, maybe because the, the person who supposedly, or who had it built was supposedly a Quaker pacifist. Okay. Um, uh, Sam Hill, if you've heard the expression, what in Sam Hill is going on here? That's Sam Hill. Really? Yeah. He was, um, he introduced paved road to the area, things like that. So. His, so his, I could also uh, say what if Stonehenge is going on? It would be the same thing. Yeah, well, his mansion um, is now the Mary Hill Museum and um, has a little, uh, you know, observation deck for the stars. And then it's got something that looks an awful lot like an altar, but that's, that's not weird or anything. It's just hmm. just normal, normal stuff. So. And... Uh, when he went to Stonehenge, because um, during World War One, uh, at that time they believed Stonehenge was a, a place for human sacrifice, and um, so he said something like, "Oh, when will we stop killing each other?" So then he decided to build another Stonehenge. I guess it's the, the logical uh, logical leap from that. So yeah, you can go see the. The Stonehenge in Washington. There, I don't know why it's not more well known. I mean, it's it's like the Where same size located? and everything. So. Where? What part of town? It's not really in a town. It's um, south of Goldendale, and on the Oregon side, it's it's Big Oregon, which is a basically a gas station, and just on the other oh, side okay. of the Columbia. So, I've got pictures. I, we could we could we could I, post them in the I show. I thought notes. you were talking DC for a minute. That's why I was confused. Oh no, well, no. We both live okay. up here in the in the great state of Washington. Yeah. So the real Washington. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of Stonehenge <laughs> worshippers up that way. Probably are. <laughs> yeah. And lots of wonderful other people too, of course. Yeah. yeah. Less World Net Daily readers. Yeah. Well, I I would hope better of them <laughs> up in that neck of the woods. <laughs> so wow, well that's very interesting. Well, I I will have on, on a Stonehenge vein, I will have something to announce shortly down the road that's going to intrigue a lot of people. But I cannot talk about it tonight. That's right. I'll have to uh, I'll have to tell uh, Andrew off air. So yeah, you've taken a blood oath not to speak of this, but um, there'll be something really interesting, and it should be. I'll, I'll be accidentally I'll be, revealing it on next week's show. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Thanks. Yeah, and then suddenly you'll disappear to parts unknown. <laughs> okay, so we've been gone for a month. We got to catch up on some news stories, Doctor Future. 
Would you like to, to sit in with us as we cover a few of these? Well, I, I know I tend to rattle on uh, ad nauseum, so only if I'm not a pest. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't think you would be. Andrew, any ideas where you would like to go? Well, when you uh, when we started the show, I was reading that uh, one unvaccinated child was patient zero of measles epidemic, and my my blood pressure was steadily rising. Oh. So we could start there. Go ahead. There we go. Um, those evil people that don't vaccinate their children! I tell you what, how dare they? Yeah, should be locked up. All right. So, and this comes from a. Uh, a reliable, um, neutral, and very scientific news source, the, the Daily Kos. Okay, good. The communist. So, all right. Um, one unvaccinated child was patient zero of a measles, of a measles ep- epidemic. Measles cases and outbreaks, January 1st to June 13th, 2014, and then it's got in big, bold letters, 477 cases. Wow. 16 outbreaks, representing 87% of reported cases this year. Um, so 477, what, what percent of the population is that? <laughs> uh, okay. That's like 0.0001, right? Yeah, it's got to be right in there. Okay. Did did Edward Bernays write this <laughs> as a press release? I think so. If if Edward Bernays had been well, if Edward Bernays had been hired by the uh, by Big Pharma, there would have been like celebrities getting vaccinated on air, and um, you know, trendy ribbons for cancer research right. and stuff. Oh wait, wait. Uh, there is. Okay. Uh, d- despite what you think is happening when you read anti-vaccination blogs, most people in the developed world vaccinate their children. Uh, and it, yes, because they're told it's good for them, and they have to. And in the relatively undeveloped world, they are demand- demanding more vaccines so that their children will, will, will live longer. That's why those Africans just run... Whenever Bill Gates shows up with a new experimental vaccine that kills half of them, they uh, they don't run for the hills or anything. They want more. Give us more vaccines. Mm-hmm. In the USA alone, far far less than one percent of children, 19 to 35 months, are completely unvaccinated. Okay, that's not the same as being fully vaccinated, but what whatever. The problem, at least in the USA, is that those unvaccinated children tend to be clustered in small geographical areas where individuals who share the typical characteristics of many vaccine deniers tend to live. Those deniers. The complication is that the herd immunity can break down rather quickly when the vaccination uptake drops below 80 to 90 percent in these clusters. What is it? 80 or 90? Uh, anyway. This is science, man. You just you, and, you just need a, and, a, a, a general percentage. You, you just told us far less than one percent are completely unvaccinated. So what's the problem? And all it takes is one person carrying a vaccine-preventable disease from an area where it is endemic to then start an outbreak or epidemic very quickly in one of these low vaccine uptake clusters. 
For a vaccine like measles, which is very contagious, it jumps from an infected person to unvaccinated individuals quite rapidly, sometimes before public health authorities can contain it. Measles is easily prevented with the MMRV vaccine, nice free name, which also protects children against mumps, rubella, and chickenpox. And how did we survive chickenpox? In a recent article published in Pediatrics, researchers investigated a measles outbreak in Minnesota in 2011. Everyone remembers that one, right, guys? Sure. That, that dreaded measles <laughs> outbreak in Minnesota in 2011. Whew. Man, wiped out half the state. I remember where I was when that thing broke out. Yeah, man. The authors, led by Pamela Gar of the Minnesota Department of Health, determined that the outbreak began when an unvaccinated two-year-old traveled to Kenya, happens all the time, where he contracted the measles virus. Upon returning to the United States, the child developed a fever, cough, and vomiting some of the early signs and symptoms of measles. Also, some of the later signs and symptoms of measles. Unfortunately, prior to a diagnosis of measles, the child passed the virus on to three children in a child daycare center and another household member. The measles then spread from individual to individual within a low, low vaccine uptake area, a Somali immigrant community in the Minneapolis area. Eventually, more than 3,000 people were exposed to the disease. How many of them got it? According to researchers, 21 cases of measles were identified. Of those, 16 individuals were not vaccinated, of whom 9 were age-eligible to be vaccinated with the MMRV or MMR vaccine. Of those 9, vac of those nine children who were unvaccinated and contracted measles, 7 were not vaccinated because of parental safety concerns. Gar stated that this was consistent with a striking decline in MMR, MMR um, except ache but it should be acceptance. Good job, Daily Coast. Among Minnesota's large Somali population, again, they moved from Africa. They know they're familiar with the Gates Foundation down there. Uh, for example, in 2004, over 90% of Somali children in Minnesota were on schedule with the MMR vaccines. By 2010, that rate had dropped to 54%. Hmm, wonder why that is. I want to... I want to reiterate a small point. This is the author of the article because it keeps showing up on the zombie tropes, the zombie tropes of the anti-vaccination crowd. 16 out of the 21 individuals who contract the measles virus were not vaccinated. I guess that means five were. Um, even though the number of cases were relatively small, only 21, it was the largest outbreak in Minnesota in over 20 years. What's worse, many individuals thought that measles had been defeated in the USA and it probably still isn't endemic to the country. The Somali community in Minnesota is around 20 to 60,000, with many immigrants coming to Minnesota in the 1990s. Although the group is made up of less of Somali-born individuals and more U.S.-born, many traveled to Somalia and other nearby areas where measles is endemic. With the low vaccine uptake in this insular community, diseases contracted outside of the USA could get a toehold in this part of Minnesota. Measles is bad enough, but the situation could be Worse, if someone brings back polio or some other vaccine-preventable disease to the community. Sadly, it appears that the thoroughly discredited nonsense from Mr. Andy Wakefield, we call him Andy instead of Andrew because it sounds like he's a kid or something, <laughs> claim that the MMR or MMRV vaccine caused op autism has taken root in the Somali community. What? They read? The Som Somalians read? How dare they? Um... Let's be clear about Andy Wakefield's lies about MMR vaccine and autism. The Lancet, which first published Wakefield's paper, retracted it. 
the British Medical Journal, a respected peer-reviewed publication, and an investigative writer, Brian Deere, wrote about Wakefield's deceit and fraud here, here, and here. So they don't post scientific articles. They just point the, to the hit pieces by Brian Deere. Um, and there are literally hundreds of peer-reviewed articles that thoroughly dismiss any link between vaccines and autism. Is this clear? If only I could convince Minnesota's Somali community to read all of these links. Yes, they'd fall for it for sure. Uh, furthermore, I know there's a subset of people, especially in the anti-vaccination cult. Oh, we're a cult. What, let's see, what words have they used to describe us? Uh, cult. Um, let's see. Zombie tropes of the anti-vaccination crowd. And let's see. Uh, just anti-vaccination blogs, too. Okay. Um, who are convinced that measles is not that dangerous. But it actually is quite serious, especially if it broke out and spread before public health officials could contain it. Um, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the complications of measles are serious. Well, that's a reliable source. Um, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, we get the point. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, wait, we got to jump to the end because it's, this is, this entirely neutral and, and, uh, balanced article is going to finish strong here. Vaccinate your child against measles. It's the right thing to do because measles shouldn't make, be making a comeback in this modern world with modern medicine. It is, it is a disease from a different time and era, something that my grandparents suffered and not my children. There you go. Uh, Your Did they thank Pharmacy Lobby for underwriting that uh, article? (laughs) They should. Yeah. Their financial contributions to it. Yeah, I I could tell you all uh, just as a personal anecdote. You know, I'm not a doctor, never even played one. I mean, not a medical doctor. But uh, (laughs) if anybody who's met me in person, they know I'm just sort of like a heavy set version of Gollum, (laughs) you know, sort of, sort of sickly and, and, uh, you know, I just look like I'm in extremely poor health. Well, anyway, uh, I've had severe, um, allergy problems and, and asthma from when I was born. And, uh, um, when they did allergy tests on me, they found I was basically allergic to all matter in the universe. <laughs> and anything that had DNA in it, you know, the whole periodic table, I was allergic to it. And, uh, <clears throat> just always, you know, a short of breath and, uh, you know, other stuff like that. And, and um, allergies, respiratory problems have plowed in my whole life. And my mom always told me growing up, how she had uh, had to walk the floor for the first year that I was alive, just constantly, you know, trying to carry me because I basically I just screamed and cried and you know cried morning to night for uh, for for a year, and and you know she just told me that you know frequently. Uh, I think that would make me feel guilty, you know, for having done to her. But anyway, uh, uh, as I started learning more about some of this stuff, like Andrew was sharing. One day, I just thought I'd ask her because she she's not into this kind of stuff. And uh, I asked my mom. I said, "You know, do you remember? I know you said that it was like almost right after I was born when I started getting real sick like this and just crying and you know having to rock me constantly and stuff. Do you, do you remember anything of when that actually started?" And she thought for a minute. She was 
trying to fix you as well. I think it I think it started right after we took you for your immunizations. Hmm. And uh, back, you know, I don't know if they do it now, but in in those days, you know, they they'd have a handful in your hand of about fifteen. You know, and it well, would just sort of overwhelm now. your your. Is that right? Still that way? Yeah. Probably cost slightly less, and um, they can charge per ingredient. But uh, if I'm right, these I things think, just. I think you're right about the age group where they had the. There's a isn't there like a large needle, almost like a gun, that would shoot like three or four of them at the same time. Uh, and, well, I remember they used to line us up in school, and they'd have like you you'd get those big scars on your shoulder, like for the smallpox or something like that. Yeah, and was this, uh, was this was it like a little circle, like a little indentation? Uh Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, you're right about the right age group where they would they would they would put it all in that one gun and they would all just Yeah. Psh, yeah. And you'd be scarred for life like, "Oh yeah, I remember that." And people would sort of, you know, start puckering up and whimpering and stuff like that even before it got to them. Yeah. But, but you know, I bet you they test most of these things individually when they when they test for the response. But and, and I'm sure in the literature they talk about this a lot. But when they when they give it to you, they just give you so many things yeah. that it just overwhelms your system. And even Pyro, our dog, will, when we take him for his immunizations, Mrs. Future and I always insist that they spread it out one at a time over a series of weeks, because when he would get a whole bunch of them at one time, even he would get really sick afterwards. And since we spread them out. That helped immeasurably. So, I'm not saying that immunizations individually are safe. You know, you do your own research. But uh, certainly, when you put them all together, you could take something that maybe in some trial doesn't look that bad, and it can have just terrible results. And I may be well, living testimony. Who knows how smart I might have been had it not been for that? <laughs> I would have actually maybe made sense on the radio. Well, you what you might have been, been like a, a professional athlete or something, and and never. Uh... Never bothered with doing a podcast or writing books, so. So, are you making the case that we probably should give more immunizations then? <laughs> that a positive mutation would occur? No, yeah, I'm saying you, you've made the most of it there. Oh, okay. But, you, what, but, one thing you mentioned was the test. You think they test these things individually? Where do you think that they would test them? Hmm. Well, one place would be the clinical trials where they get poor people to come in, Andrew, right. and then give yep. them a bunch of drugs. And the other place would be the poor people who join the military and go out yep. to fight for our country. And I've told the story about it a million times, but just for your edification, Dr. Future, in boot camp, they shoot you up with so much stuff that everyone across the board gets incredibly sick. And I had a person actually die in the boot camp division I was in shortly after we were immunized. And they give wow. us so much stuff, it made every one of us sick. I was the first wow. to fall and the first to get better. I remember uh, being so sick, I didn't know if I could continue walking or marching. Because I was the first to go down, I thought everybody else was toughing out the same thing. And finally I gave in and uh, went to quarters or whatever. And, and it took me about three or four days. I kicked it. I was the first one healthy as everyone else started to get sick. And uh, a poor girl in my uh, division got meningitis and died. So that's where they test them, I would guess. Yeah, huh. and the, but uh, also where you know they do the paid medical testing when you're you're paid to be part of medical trials. Everything is so controlled and scheduled um, 
like the medication given to the second that it's supposed uh-huh. to. Very realistic. Everyone takes their <laughs> their prescription drugs down to the second. Um, you consume, you know, precisely the amount of calories that you're supposed to. You can't eat any more, any less. You know. Um, well, that's right. They kept you in that place for 12, 24 hours, right? No, it was uh, ten days. Oh, you couldn't leave. No, you couldn't leave. No, that was that was part of it. And they do trials that they do trials up to a year. Wow. Um, for like. But so it's such a such an artificial environment. Um, like uh, you know, if you take if you're taking any drugs, you're not eligible to, for the study. Um, and how many of those? And, yet, and how many people and yet, are left like that right now? Yeah, and and yet they they tell people, um, oh yeah, no, we'll just shoot all these vaccines at once. Oh no, you can take this medication, that medication, and that medication, and. If it causes a side effect, we'll just give you another medication to take care of the side effects. So, um, you know, that, that is a huge area, a huge problem area. And I think um, the bigger thing, you know, if you go back far enough, I think it is eugenics and it is a, um, it's part of Big Pharma's uh, business model. You give things to people that, First of all, you get to sell it to everyone, even people that aren't sick. And second of all, you're ensuring a lifetime of, of medical intervention. So, um, and well, if it, if as, as far my, as my medical problems, they have made a fortune off of me, even in just just nuisance medical problems that I've had. You know, uh, allergic problems, other kind of things, propensity to cold and flu and other things. Anything that my reduced immunity has caused, so they would have gotten a big bang for their buck for whatever they gave me. Oh, absolutely. And um, if you look at, at kids now, they're taking more vaccines than ever. And are kids today healthier than they were 40 years ago? I don't think so. There, There's more food allergies, more, um, I mean, kids can't have dairy. Kids can't have, you know, peanuts or they die. Kids can't have uh you know wheat all all these different things and um the elephant in the room is the vaccines in my opinion i think gmos have a lot to do with it as well um but i think the initiator for all these allergies for the most part is is vaccine and uh that doesn't even include the explosion in behavioral diagnoses Right, which whether, are whether often exaggerated or not, but it, it seems to be that a lot of that's going on too. Well, and um, interestingly enough, some of those things can be helped by um, eliminating certain things in the diet. So, which kind of indicates that they're at least partially caused by food allergies. Um, it's pretty common now to you know kids with behavioral problems if you make sure they don't eat anything with, um, you know, food dyes, chemically mm-hmm. processed, things like that. It, it tends to help them. Um, so, yeah, I think there is, if you're out there and you're, you're struggling with these things or your, your kids are struggling with them, um, look into things you can do naturally as far as with the food they eat. Um, I've heard of acupuncture actually helping a lot with allergies. So, um, with, 
cousins of mine that had severe food allergies and um, many of them were cured with a 15-minute acupuncture session, as, as strange as that sounds. So, um, would the, you know, would the needles uh, actually block the food from going down their throat? <laughs> no, it's, I, don't ask me how, how it worked or, or why it worked, but it did work for them. And they had, I mean, they'd been to traditional doctors and naturopaths and everything in between. Um, but that, that's what worked for them. But of course they, um, you know, that, that was something they were, they were vaccinated and it, it had problems, um, you know, way back to, to babyhood, I guess you could say. Um, and my baby's had zero vaccines and she's 14 months old. Um, zero food allergies, zero trips to the ER. Um, she's very healthy. You know, when we take her into the, uh, naturopath that we, we take her to, she's like, Oh, that's a healthy baby. You know? <laughs> so, um, and I'm not saying it's a hundred percent either way, but it's just, hmm. I I just have the feeling if we had let her get shot full of vaccines, that we'd be dealing with, um, you know, all all sorts of allergies. We also give her yeah. raw milk, which I think helps as well. But we're we're coming mm-hmm. up on the one year anniversary of this this famous quote. Population. Now the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. New vaccines, new vaccines, new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. It doesn't sound like there's anything insidious there. No. Just because they're all obsessed with overpopulation and then obsessed with vaccines, we shouldn't worry about that. Nothing to see here. Well, one of the things I've I've learned, you know, and reinforced by what you said is to take charge of your own health. Absolutely. And that's what I did last year. My uh, my New Year's resolution was to be more sedentary, <laughs> and I was able to do that. And this year, it's to increase my salt intake. <laughs> and so, I want to encourage everybody to sort of take charge and set your own goals for your health. Okay. Dr. Future, I'm going to th- throw some stuff out there for you. I'm going to let you pick, all right? All right. Are you being targeted by the NSA? Everything we know about uh, Facebook's secret mood manipulation and... Uh, what, we, what was this? Um, Iraq soldier who fought for Americans says decision to leave was the worst we've made yet. Um, anything about the Kardashians? Nothing about the Kardashians <laughs> here. Okay. Um, <clears throat> he, he says decisions to leave Iraq were the worst yet. Well, it's, uh, let me, excuse me. It says, uh, Iraq soldier who fought with Americans says decision to flee left him feeling ashamed. Oh, interesting. Boy, that's a, that's a tough call on those three. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, um, pass this round and I'm going to let you all pick one of those. <laughs> all right. We'll keep my powder dry for the next round. <laughs> okay, are you being targeted by the NSA? Facebook is under investigation for mood manipulation and uh Iraqi uh soldier feels ashamed. 
Uh, let's do Iraqi soldier. Iraqi soldier feels a shame. Ah, it's right you'd pick that. <laughs> <laughs> On day four of clashes in Mosul, and this is old. We've we've been gone for a while. Uh, between encroaching jihadists and Iraqi security forces, two officers visited an outpost of the Iraqi Second Division's logistics battalion with bad news. They said that all senior commanders had fled. Stunned and confused, the men called headquarters and revived the same in- received the same information, that all officers, colonel and above, had abandoned their post. This evaporation of the officer corps, followed quickly by the rank and file, gave uh, wide berth to the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. The extremist group who, uh, excuse me, Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, the extremist group who, whose capture of Northwest Iraqi territories has uh, brought the country once again to the brink of civil war. For the ordinary Iraqi soldiers who followed their officers in the fight, the unraveling of their nation also brought a deep sense of personal shame and betrayal, said Private First Class Mohammed al-Nasari, who insisted he be identified by pseudonym because the government has threatened to prosecute deserters. I wish I had been killed rather than live with the humiliation of this return, Nasiri said. He shared his account by telephone from his southern hometown of Nasiri, uh, Nasiri Syria, where he was still uh, struggling to come to terms with his decision to flee, even as he braced for a stream of friends and relatives to show up as part of a tradition to welcome loved ones back from an arduous journey. Sounds like the, the thank you for your courage deal. Yeah. Nasari's uh, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank, that's, that's what I'm sorry. Thank you for your service. Nasari's anger was fresh, and he couldn't help but compare the performance of the Iraqi officers with that of U.S. military leaders who trained him and the U.S. forces he fought alongside as part of a quick response team in the insurgent flashpoint of Fallujah years ago. His account, detailed but impossible to independently confirm, painted a picture of corrupt military leadership that shook down soldiers for cash kept non-existent service members on the payroll, and showed up to standard only to the rare occasion Baghdad sends uh, an inspector. Only on, only on the rare occasion Baghdad sends an inspector. Had the Iraqi military brass in Mosul been chosen because of competency rather than cronyism, Nasir suggested perhaps the Islamic State's march toward Baghdad could have been halted or at least stalled. I know that what I need to know about fighting in a city, Nasiri said. I found I fought side by side with Americans. Their military has leaders that tell soldiers what the plan is and fight. We don't. We there were many more terrorists in Fallujah and the fight was over in a month. Mosul wouldn't have been a big problem if we had had leaders. Five days after Mosul's fall late Monday, Iraq on Saturday remained a country spinning apart. While spokesmen for the Iraqi military insisted that the army had halted the ISIS advance at such key towns as Samarra, 70 miles from Baghdad, there was scant evidence of any significant combat uh, and little sign that ISIS and its allies uh, from a collection of Sunni Muslim militias had been pushed back in any significant way. The Reuters news agency reported fighting at Udhayim, 60 miles north of Baghdad, and Peter Bakret the emergency's directors, uh, the emergency directors for the advocacy group Human Rights Watch, posted on Facebook that ISIS was receiving mortar fire in Tikrit, Saddam Hussein's hometown, two and a half hour drive from Baghdad. Reuters, citing Tikrit residents, said ISIS forces had booby trapped the entrances to the city in preparation for an assault from the Iraqi military. 
In an email to McClatchy, an Iraqi journalist reported that the capital remained stunned at ISIS's rapid advance. Thousands of Shiite Muslims have mustered in the city, answering a call from the country's most important Shiite cleric, the Grand Ayatollah Ali al-Sistini, to bolster the Iraqi army. If the fight comes to Baghdad, there will be carnage, the journalist wrote, asking not to be identified by name because of security concerns. Nasiri's account of his flight make it seem unlikely that the Iraqi army, army would soon gain the initiative. Nasiri said the battalion was supposed to be focused on supplies and transportation, but the Iraqi military is so poorly organized that he and other logistics officers often were sent on raids and other combat-related missions. Nasari, who, had, uh, who said his unit was made up of exclusively of Shiite Muslims from the fairly homogenous south, said he had spent the last seven years in Mosul, and he had come to know well the diverse city of Sunnis, Shiites, Arabs, and Kurds. Mastiri served on the east side of Mosul in a district named Saddam, a vestige of former regime uh, of the former regime of Iraqi strongman Saddam Hussein. On June 5th, the first day of the jihadis' foray into Mosul, a commercial city of two million that had long been an Islamic State cash cow and recruiting ground, Mastiri's unit got word of suspicious men openly carrying arms in the Saddam district. We gathered in the division's headquarters, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh... I think we kind of get the point. Hmm. It's uh, it's all freedom and democracy now. Yeah. Thank you, America. Thank you. Exactly. Um, I thought this was a good one. I'm going to follow that up real quick with a, another one. I'm going to just going to. I will say, um, McClatchy does actual reporting. It's kind of weird to read. Really? You know? Yeah, like they go over and talk to people and <laughs> That's weird. Try to like fact check things and I don't know. It's kinda of strange to read. It's like what that's almost like journalism or something. <laughs> it's very strange. So I picked this article up from the Navy Times. I thought it was it, it, it held some interesting uh, revelations for me. Maybe you guys will both think it's boring, but let me read it real quick. A look at the U.S. presence in Iraq by the Navy Times. So the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad is the largest in the world, but America's presence in Iraq has been shrinking. Some questions and answers about America's role in Iraq, where the U.S. military fought an eight-year war that ousted President Saddam Hussein and cost hundreds of billions of dollars and more than uh, 4,400 U.S. lives. How, how many U.S. troops are in Iraq? So this is a question. They are uh, questioning, who is this? Uh, this is the head of the Navy shoot. While you're looking that up, let me just mention that last article that I'm so relieved to see that these conflicts are all starting again because defense budgets were just getting ready to get cut. Well, and I'm sure yeah, it's a coincidence I mean, that this picked up just now to to have a you know a, a multi location in the world increase in the threat, just like well, how the terrorist attacks happened right after the uh, the wall came down in Russia. Right, right after they did the five billion dollar uh, terrorism slush fund, just like oh, I guess that money will just sit there. Oh wait, we've got stuff to use it on now. Wow. Yeah. Coincidence. Yeah. 
we've been lucky. We've been lucky <laughs> in how that uh, worked. It reminded me of a famous story where I used to work for the Air Force, where uh, <clears throat> I worked in a field in the Air Force labs that um, tried to design airplanes to make them more survivable in combat. And I worked on designing fire and explosion protection equipment. Well, that kind of work got started around the Vietnam conflict. And uh, they were noticing we were losing a lot of airplanes. The, uh, the formidable F-4s were going down over Vietnam. And, you know, they were thought to be an inferior enemy we were battling. But we were having a lot of big losses. And so somebody from my fledgling organization went over to Vietnam to collect data and to find out where they were getting hit and looking at the wreckage and things like that. And so they collected the battle damage data and uh, they reported it back to the brass at uh, Wright-Patterson and they did something that's called a hit plot. It was sort of a famous drawing. They had a, a little silhouette of an F-4 and they put pictures and uh, dots all over the, the thing of where the airplanes were getting hit. And the, the brass says, well, you know, that's really amazing. It's uh, the one place where it's not getting hit is in the fuel tank area. And the guy clarified, he says, no, you're, you're, you're deriving the wrong information from this. That means that's the impacts that we were not able to recover. Hmm. So in other words, the ones that were hit in that area were the ones that never made it back to collect the data to begin with. <laughs> yeah. So the, the point being that, um, we see certain data, and we're led to interpret the data based upon the data that we get. And the omission that's there is usually the smoking gun, not the data itself, but the unanswered questions, the data that's missing, and what we don't know. And I think that's a lot. And, and they they thought it was an absolute coincidence when these guys were, were blindly shooting artillery up in the air that somehow amazingly it was not hitting the fuel tank. Yeah. When the truth was, the fact that that data wasn't there was the glaring admission that they were. And I think that's the case when we look at these conflicts that are happening now. They they should never be looked at as just absolute coincidences of the timing when they happen. There's always a smoking gun that uh, initiates it. I'm not saying any one person controls it, but there certainly is what you call it a secret team or whatever it is like this that really knows when to spin the dice uh, when money's on the line. Yeah, and there's there's so many people that have skin in the game now of keeping the wars going. Um, there is no peace anymore. There can't be. Mm-hmm. You know, from the, from the military-industrial complex's standpoint, you know, from the Wall Street sta- standpoint. Um, and what they're doing now is they're they're kind of cutting uh, your everyday soldier out of the deal. And um, it's going more and more mercenaries. Uh, they don't have to report their casualties. Um, you know, obviously their, their family members are still just as sad, but it's not a, it doesn't get pinned on the government as much when it's not a, when it's a contractor rather than a, um, a soldier. So there's less political cost and there's more money involved, more money involved for everybody, for the corrupt, uh, um, you know, uh, mercenary firms, for the weapons manufacturers. Um, there's fewer 
rules, they can get away with more. It's just, it's uh, kind of like the, the, it's not really the privatization of war, but it's more the, uh, I don't know, even more fascistic version of war. I, I quoted some data in my one of the volumes of my books, and I, I, I'll error in trying to remember the exact number, but it was something on the order of 4% or higher of the American public actually possesses a top-secret security clearance. Wow. Uh, I, may, I may be a little off of the percentage. Actually, I'm, I'm thinking it, was actually, it was higher than that, actually, my recollection. I'm trying to yeah. lowball it. But um, a, a top secret, which we associate with real spooks, top, you know, that doesn't count the secret, which is much, much, much larger pool of people. But just the top secret, the, your, your top-level guys, and, of course, it's going to be a higher density in Washington, D.C., and places like that. But when you add the people of secret clearance and beyond that, you've got a state almost like East Germany mm -hmm. where everybody, like you say, it, the, the, the money, the economy is run by the security state, which means basically we turn into Spartans. That's a, we're, we're, we're basically, we've become a warrior society. In more ways than one. Well, and what's... It's even worse than that because I think you know, with when you had Roman soldiers or or what have you, uh, they got to share in the spoils of war. Now it's like, you know, if you join U.S. military, you get shot full of vaccines, and yeah, sure, there's going to be um, propaganda pieces on TV about how great you are, but uh, forget getting good medical care if you make it home, you know, in in one piece or in in several pieces um, and you're just getting uh, just eaten alive by the bureaucracy at some point. And also, I mean, one thing with those, with the mercenary firms, the, there's no, well, for the most part, they are veterans that join them. Um, usually, usually someone will serve a military tour and then, then join uh, Blackwater or what have you. But, um, yeah, it's it's just it's a well, it's a no-win situation for the people involved. I'll put it that way. Can I put an SOS out for help from your listening audience and for you two as well on this topic? I am trying to find data that I know exists, and I've had difficulty finding it for a project for this book series I'm writing on the effects on people who have gone through the most stringent special forces testing, particularly Delta Force. And what kind of desensitization training they go through as far as becoming comfortable with taking a human life in your bare mm -hmm. hands and other things like this and how that affects them when they're not deployed, when they have to try to reintegrate into society. Um, I have a close family member of mine who actually worked with people like this and and, and I don't mean to disparage any Delta Force veterans who are listening. I'm sure they're wonderful people. But at, at the base where they were working at, even the other Special Forces people were a little scared of the Delta Force people. Hmm. And they really had a difficult time operating in a normal environment. In fact, uh, their, their uh, marriages usually were hard to keep going. 
it was hard for them to do constructive, positive, just daily activities when they weren't being a warrior. And I'm trying to get some data that I know I've heard cited in the past on this, but I've had really difficulty collecting it. And so if any of your listeners could give me any links on that, and that includes both of you gentlemen, I would really appreciate that. Uh, it pertains to some people that I'm investigating in my work. And uh, if you can just drop it to uh, Dr. Future, Dr. Future at futurequake.com, I would be most grateful. Yeah, but it has to be some kind of hard data, like a book or a, a medical paper or something like that. That's a, a credible source that I that I could review, and maybe a way that I can get a hold of it. And I would be most grateful. All right. Sorry about the commercial there. Just trying to buy you some time, uh, Tim. Did you find uh, what you were looking for in that Navy article, Navy Times? Sure, the Navy Times article. It's actually not asking anybody anything. It's just a question and answer. Uh, oh. style article but I wanted to, to point out a couple quick questions here um, one uh, how many troops in, in the, are in Iraq and of course the answer is zero at this point and then how big is the US Embassy now I don't know if many people know this answer there are roughly 5,000 US personnel in the, in the embassy making it the largest US diplomatic post in the world until the recent burst of insurgent violence the Obama administration have been planning to reduce the size of the embassy. At this point, it's unclear whether that plan will be carried out, speeded up, or scrapped. Does the U.S. have a presence in Iraq outside of Baghdad? Yes. Answer, yes. The State Department has consulates in three cities, Basra in the Shiite-dominated south, Eribil in the Kurdish semi-autonomous region in the northeastern Iraq, and Kirkuk long disputed between Arabs, Kurds, and Turkmen, which is interesting because that would put them in with a U.S. embassy in one of ev each of the three factions that are starting to emerge. The, the, hmm. Many people are, are theorizing that it's going to be split into three countries. Well, we got three different uh, well, then, consulates. Yeah, and that's been the plan all along. Exactly. That's the real mis mission accomplished. Um, as uh, James Corbett pointed out, are there uh, U.S. military contractors in Iraq? Uh, answer, no. As of December 15, 2013, all American contractors helping familiarize and train Iraqis with weapons and other military equipment purchased from the U.S. are working under Iraqi government contract. Do you hear that? Uh -huh. Yeah. Do you hear yeah. that? That they're still there, but they're not working for the U.S. government. They're now under contract with the Iraqi government. So we pay the Iraqi government, then the Iraqi government pays that. Previously, they had been Pentagon contractors, but that changed when the Iraqi government took final control of the last several sites where the contractors have been providing a range of military sales and support training. So we have three different consulates in all three of the areas, and we are still we still have contractors there, but they're just being paid from the U.S. government. I mean, excuse me, the Iraqi government. What kind of weapons are the Iraqis buying from the U.S.? Answer. The biggest of the big ticket items is the F-16 fighter. Iraq is buying 36 of them for $3 billion. It took uh, official possession of the first plane at a ceremony this month. At, and this is, of course, written June 14th at Lockheed Martin's facility in Fort Worth, Texas. But none of the planes have yet arrived in Iraq. The U.S. has also recently sold a variety of high-end equipment, including hundreds of Hellfire air-to-ground missiles, tank ammunition, grenades, rifles, and other weaponry. The Pentagon recently notified Congress of plans to sell an additional $1 billion in military equipment to Iraq. 
Mm. Well, ISIS will appreciate all those new weapons how, when they confiscate How much them. aid has the U.S. provided to Iraq over the years? Answer. According to Bipartisan Congressional Research Service, the U.S. has provided $56 billion in assistance since the U.S. invasion in 2003. That consists mainly of $21 billion in relief and construction funds and $20 billion for the equipping and training of Iraqi security forces. That is separate from the cost of fighting the war. Also on Friday, the State Department spokesperson Jen Psaki said the U.S. is sending about $12 million in humanitarian aid to help uh, nearly a million Iraqis who have been forced from their homes in the recent fighting. The billions for uh, weapons and a couple million for humanitarian. So I recently watched the movie, and I had actually never seen it in the 90s. I was uh, kind of young at the time. But uh, Wag the Dog. Now, Dr. Future, have you seen this movie? You know, I haven't bothered to watch the movie. I know the premise of it, but okay. yeah, I hadn't seen it. Uh, Andrew, have you seen this movie? Uh, I watched it back when it came out, but okay. uh, not since then. Andrew, uh, you know, uh, you have to give me your address when we get off of here, because I, I, I did actually have to purchase the DVD. I couldn't find it online, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll, sh- I'll send it over to you, because I think you'd, you'd like it. But... Uh, there is a scene, okay, where, uh, I forget this other actress's name, but the, one of the main actresses and uh, uh, Robert De Niro. And Robert De Niro is the fixer who has created a false war. Spoiler alert, a false war to try and distract the public away from the presidential candidate uh, who is seeking re-election, or the president who is seeking re-election and apparently has molested a young girl. But uh, in this process, they call in this guy, the Fixer, who is going to put on a fake war in order to distract the public long enough to get him reelected and keep everybody away from the other story, of course, of the molesting of the young girl. So in this scene that I'm about to play a quick clip from, uh, Robert De Niro, the Fixer, is confronted by a CIA agent at a restaurant. And uh, the CIA agent is... uh, he, he understands what's going on, and the jig is up. So let me just play this real quick. Who do you work for? Nobody whose name you want me to say, Mr. Young. I promise you. Uh, it's all well and good, but when the fit hits the shan, somebody's going to have to stay after school. Who do you suppose that might be? I don't know what you're talking about. The spy satellites show it, Mr. Breen. They show no war. Then what good are they? If they show no war. I mean, what are we spending a quarter trillion dollars a year on the Defense Department? What good are they if they show nothing? And what, are they useless or are they just broke or what? I, mean, what is I, I, I would like to point out further that these medications I mean, taken in conjunction... If there's no threat, then where are you? Let me go you one more. If there's no threat, what good are you? Mr. Breen, you are the threat. I'm the threat. I am the threat. Well, what have I been doing the last 30 years that you haven't been doing? You want to fill me in on that? The last 30 years, Mr. Breen, I have been working to ensure the security of my country. As have we all, and I'd like to point out that the security of this country... But if forced to choose between the security of your country and the security security of your job, which would you pick? And while you hesitate, permit me to suggest that they are one and the same, your country and your job. I'm doing my job, Mr. Breen. That's what you see me doing. I'm doing my job, That's what you are doing. I'm doing my job, too. And let me ask you something. Let me ask you a simple question. Why do people go to war? Why do they go to war? I'll play your silly game. Okay, why do they go to war? To ensure their way of life. Would you go to war to do that? I have. And if you went to war again, who would it be against? Huh? Your ability to fight a two-ocean war against who? Who? Sweden and Togo? 
That time has passed. It's over. The war of the future is nuclear terrorism. It is, and it'll be against a small group of dissidents who, unbeknownst perhaps to their own governments, have blah, 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 blah. And to go to that war, you have to be prepared. You've got to be alert. The public has got to be alert, because that is the war of the future. And if you're not gearing up to fight that war, then eventually the axe will fall, and you're going to be out in the street. And you could call this a drill. You could call this job security. You could call it anything you like. But I got one for you. You said go to war to preserve your way of life. Well, Chuck, this... This is your way of life. And if your spy satellites don't see nothing, if there ain't no war, then you can go home and prematurely take up golf, my friend. Because there ain't no war but ours. And that's end scene. Of course, the uh, CIA agent gets the point, leaves them alone, and they continue perpetuating the fake war on the people. Yeah. Well, I think they figured out it's, uh, better to just do real wars for phony reasons. Yeah, but it, I think it was interesting. Interestingly prescient, the uh, the uh, the war of the future is a group of people who got blah 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 and may have you know nuclear weapons and their governments may not even know about it. Blah 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 blah. In other words, Doctor Evil fighting somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fighting fighting a group of people, you know, a war that could never end. Fighting a small group of people who are vaguely classified in a certain way. Yeah, you might even have to uh, pass a word that the, that the bad guy's still alive years after he's been dead or said to be dead, <laughs> and then dispose of him mysteriously when you, when you really need the political hay for it. Yeah, and then invent somebody new to replace them. You know, uh, when they had the the video oh a few months ago, it caused a big stink. There's a new leader, I guess, in Al Qaeda, and they had a big, big conference. And what was considered so bold was they released a video that that was done out in the open, and it was like they were having a big, major celebration, and. Uh, they just thought it was so brazen that the re- reinvigorated Al-Qaeda would do this out out in the open, you know, in the midst of our drones. And they made a big story. And for some reason, watching this, it struck me of how ridiculous the video looked and how contrived. And it reminded me of the old Get Smart TV show and the the chaos group, <laughs> which was supposedly the people that the control was battling and you basically, you know, the, the sort of message I got between the lines on that show, you know, it was a comedy, was that the world gets to choose either either it's going to be under the tyranny of chaos or it's going to be under the tyranny of control. Either way, it's tyranny. And and you get to pick and you get to watch the drama unfold between the two. But, but often on Get Smart, you would see the chaos agents and the control agents get together and they would compare notes. And in fact, uh, one of the chaos agents they were interrogating, they happened to find out that he had such a good benefit plan that they began to strike within control to actually get the same benefits as their uh, mortal enemies Yeah. for uh, for health benefits and other things like that. And, and it got to be sort of ludicrous, you know, when you would see these guys comparing notes on who they thought was the best in each of their fields and things. And I hear the same stuff goes on in intelligence agencies between 
uh, you know, KGB, CIA. In fact, I was just talking to somebody with some CIA connections that said that said as such. Um, uh, most, to a lesser extent, Mossad, but uh, some of the other major agencies like this. And so it gets to be just a dark game. And uh, that's why sometimes if you watch some of these old shows during the Cold War, like even a com- comedic one like a Get Smart or a Dr. Strangelove, people, there were people who were knew this game a long time ago. Even though the Cold War was a little different in that we had a big boogeyman who we'd been sold could wipe out all of our life you know, overnight, whether it was true or not. The Team A report was shown later to uh, be grossly over-exaggerated, so we would buy a lot of useless weapons we didn't need. And when the wall came down, they found out we way over-exaggerated Russian capability. And so what happens, we get a group of... Uh, evangelicals and leaders uh, do the Team B report about Islamic uh, threats to America. Basically taking the same faulty report and redoing it a second time with the new threat. So, yeah, those are some thoughts I have about that that whole business of deceiving the American public. So, Dr. Future, have you ever watched the uh, old series, The Prisoner? You know, I just obtained all of the episodes, and I haven't sat down to watch all of it. I'm trying to get uh, a Mr. Robert Hyde to sit down with me and watch it. I thought that was something we would enjoy, maybe yep. Adam Sane, So, But I know that's the basic premise. I, I know that's been called probably the most intelligent show that was ever aired on television. Well, it's, it was kind of unique in that um, he actually, Patrick McEwen, had free reign. Mm-hmm. Um, and was kind of making the show up as he went along. So in some ways, it's not the... He was the only one who really knew <laughs> what was going on. The people who were working on the show, uh, producing the show, didn't really know what was going on. Um, so it's, I wouldn't say it's the most um, organized show, but as far as ideas go, it's it's, it's very, very interesting. And um, the place where they're at, the village... Um, is basically, I mean, you 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 never find out for sure, but you come to the conclusion that it's a lot of former spies. Um, but he never finds out um, who runs the village. You know, he, he's always asking, "Whose side are you on?" And mm-hmm. uh, you know, they kind of laugh at him. Oh, that would be telling. So um, it's it's kind of it's kind of the same thing. Well. If you can't tell whose side you're on, it shows that there's there's a system above um, the system that you see around you. So, uh, right, yeah, it's, and it's, I think it's, that was part of the punchline in every episode. There was a number two who who presumably looked like was running everything, and he right. thought he was running everything until he was informed later that he was not running everything. And that things that he thought he was doing autonomously were actually scripted. Well, number two knows that he's not in charge, but as far as the village is concerned, the number two is is always in charge. So yeah, they think that the number two is in charge. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Patrick McGowan, uh, who 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 was the lead in that that you mentioned and start, he was a man of real substance, and I suggest people. Yeah. Google him, Wikipedia, whatever. Uh, he he actually uh, throughout his career, uh, 
was a was a man of real quality. And he was one who I wanted to interview on Future Quake. And by the time I got the bright idea, he had just perished shortly before then. Oh, that would have been a great, great idea. Yeah, yeah, that's one I missed. The other one uh, of equal stature was Dr. Frank Strangis, who who wrote the book uh, Stranger at the per- Pentagon about uh, Valiant Thor, the uh, alien from, v- I think, Venus, I think, who came <laughs> and landed outside the Pentagon. And actually testified before Congress. You know, you've never heard of Valiant Thor? No. Yeah, well, just everybody look up Valiant Thor. And there's a picture you can find online of him. I think he's from Venus. And his brother, (laughs) Don Thor, and Jill Thor. She's got like a little blonde ponytail, and they supposedly testified before Congress. And Dr. Frank Strangis was a minister who uh, actually somehow was brought into the story that he had landed and uh, was able to interview Valiant Thor. Uh, and, of course, he worked at the Pentagon, too, for a long time, the, the alien. Hmm, interesting. And so he passed away just uh, right before I had him on the show as well, too. So, you know, two, two, two giants I missed out on both of them, which really represented the full spectrum of Future Quake, I think you could say. Yeah, I would say those are on opposite poles of, of Future Quake, but... Right. <laughs> right. I mean, you've got someone there who's a very credible, respected man, and then you've also got Patrick McGood as well. <laughs> and we could have had them both on. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think you'll enjoy that, that series. Oh, well, great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm going to have to try and get a hold of that as well so I can we, Well, we, can, talk we can work out a trade, Tim. I can send you. I've got those on, on DVD, and you can send me Wag the Dog. Yeah, and I need to send you the Rubic, Rubicon series as well, which is a, one that I'd recommend Dr. Future gets a hold of. It's a more recent one, but uh, it's one of those one of those great series where they did one season, and then it was promptly canceled. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, doesn't okay. doesn't last more than a season, but uh, yeah. Uh, when you said one of the smartest TV shows ever made, I thought you know Rubicon would probably be up there as well. But I'll have to I'll have to check out The Prisoner, and I recommend you guys check out Rubicon, which is uh, it's more about a uh, a guy who works in a think tank, one of these political think tanks, and. Uh, some interesting stuff happens, and there's a it's it's a very intense show, but you have to be paying attention. Uh, it might have been too uh, too boring for the American public, but you, you got to kind of pay attention to what's happening. Uh, essentially, he you know he's he's you know one of the members of a, an elite think tank that kind of sets policy. <laughs> And uh, makes things happen around the world, and and he thinks that it's an innocent enough uh, outfit until uh, some, of course, some things start to happen. He starts to get hip to to what's going on. <laughs> so, any other things you got for us, Andrew? Should we hit one more story? Do you have any any other directions we could take at Doctor Future? Either one of you guys. Uh, should we try and wrap it up here with any any thoughts? Uh, oh, we should try and wrap it up. It, it'll, it'll take us like 15 minutes. So. <laughs> okay. Hey, um, my assistant here with me, Pyro, mm-hmm. from uh, my Future Quake staff, 
he wanted me to mention something to all the listeners out there. Okay. He, he said, um, when you all celebrate 4th of July, mm-hmm. the next day or so, yeah, if you're out sure. there shooting fireworks, remember that, that a lot of doggies out there get pretty nervous when the firecrackers are uh, going off. So, and big fireworks. So, so try to keep the period of time to sort of a minimum. What kind of dog is that? Al-Qaeda dog? <laughs> Well, he's yeah, he's he's pretty intense right right now. He's uh, it looks like he's praying. He's got his eyes closed over here. No, I have a dog. Well, he's laying laying prostrate, probably praying for us. But he wanted me to tell everybody out there: remember, remember your fine furry friends in your neighborhood. Yeah, that's true. Well, and, uh, I I will be uh, I'll be spending the Fourth of July evening in Moxie, Washington, M O X E E. And you can get some idea of it by uh, looking that up on YouTube, just 4th of July, Moxie, because fireworks are uh, totally legal. And it's one of the most spectacular, um, spontaneous fireworks displays that you'll ever see. Huh. Just every, all up and down the streets, people just launching fireworks. So it's uh, something to behold. It's, it's what dogs would call hell. <laughs> So I'd, maybe people uh, take their dogs out of town for the evening. I don't know. Well, that's uh... well. You've got a lot of moxie for me do, for doing that. <laughs> there you uh, go. Now, I was just gonna, <laughs> hey, I was just I gonna would... say the Fourth of July is. Uh, it's always. I've always thought it. You know, it's the it's the time where we make the American streets sound like we make Amer- streets around the world sound. Well, that's true. Good point. Well, I would encourage all of our listeners, if you haven't watched it, uh, I think you can watch this on YouTube. Um, when we think about our freedom, if you want a nice Christian influence, just watch the amazing film, If Footmen Tire You, What Will Horses Do? Okay. Um, have, have both of you seen that movie? No. No. We did a show on it on Future Quake with the, with the son of the producer of that film, uh, Tim Ormond, oh, yeah. on Future Quake. Mm-hmm. And I uh, highly recommend you watch it. You'll actually see what happens when the southern U.S. is invaded by Cuban troops that began to lead people out of their churches and machine gun them. And uh, it's it's a movie that has to be seen to be believed. Were you an extra in that movie as well? No, I would have loved to have been. And in fact, I've talked to his son, who, who actually his son was asked in the movie to shoot his mother. Uh, to to show that he was a communist by by shooting his own mom. So I'm going to go out on the limb here and say zero out of our broad f- amount of listeners is going to go and actually watch that movie. You think so? Zero. zero. <laughs> well, you know, it's like another. There's another Christian film I think you can find on on YouTube as well called Blood Freak, and it's a <laughs> it's a sort of a Christian anti drug film that I recommend to you all as well too. <laughs> I, you know what, Doctor Future, I might have to take my recommendation back. Cause the <laughs> the movies and in, in series that you um, seem to prefer, I don't know. If, I don't know if the prisoner well, is Andrew, down here. Andrew, I, I did just recently uh, visit the home, the home of our great Lord Lee Greenwood. Uh, in uh, I, while I was Greenfield, I have no, well, I have no idea who that is. Well, he's pr- Greenfield. He's proud to be an American. That's the the writer Lee Greenwood. 
Anyway, uh, I did stop by the, the future household when I was there in Nashville paying homage to Lee Greenwood. And uh, in, the, uh, in the basement of the uh, Benatorium, there is uh, a, a shelf with every strange movie you could ever think of. <laughs> I mean, the strangest of strange movies. He has made it a point to collect from... Far and wide, he wants to to, to be the 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 literal uh, Alexandria. It's the Library of Alexandria. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was going for. Alexandria of, of weird, weird movies. Yeah, you know what's surprising, given that it's such a mainstream show at Future Quake, <laughs> that we were so middle of the road. You know, yeah. that uh, I would have that kind of affinity for that kind of thing. <laughs> It's it's called not not taking the broad path. So, Doctor Future, well, tell me tell me you're off the uh, the aspartame. No. Did, nope. did he kick the aspartame habit? Nope. Uh, well, I've been trying to increase my high fructose corn syrup. Actually, now now Tim knoweth not what he speaketh of right now, because. Um, the the soft drinks that I have in our home are all Splenda based. They're not aspartame based. Oh, what? to my knowledge, there's none of the death chemical. Do they have any? Do they have any stevia? Uh, I'm chocked full of stevia. It goes in my coffee every day. Is that bad for me? I thought it was a plant. No, stevia. I'm saying go for stevia, not Splenda. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've I've been taking stevia. Does that make me like an honorary Washingtonian? Well, you're, 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 <laughs> you're supposed to use it. You're supposed to use it in place of other stuff, not just add it to. Like oh, if you just dump stevia in your soda, that doesn't count. So he, he has a diet <laughs> no, no, no. a diet right that he puts stevia in. Does that, hey, does hey, that help? Diet right. Diet right does not have. I'm not doing a commercial for them, although I wouldn't mind compensation. <laughs> But they do not have a speck of aspartame in there. Well, uh, well, my wife and I were looking for good local places to eat that serve good local fare, organic food. Uh, Dr. Future was uh, being called to be part of a focus group for a fast food chain there in the Nashville area. So, come, I, did you already have your Not food? just fast food, but specializes in greasy fried fish. <laughs> <laughs> Have you already had your consultation for the, yeah. such? How did that go? Uh, Mr. Hoffman would have really enjoyed the intensive uh, marketing blitz. Uh, I felt like Ivy Lee had a hold of me <laughs> in there. And, and there were so many observations. I really did think about you guys during it because um, I ran afoul of everybody else who was in the uh, the, the little focus group. They showed commercials, um, sort of storyboard commercials they wanted to do to promote the product. And I'll give you a case. One of them actually had uh, this really, really nerdy guy, and he wants to get this cheerleader to go out with him, and she didn't want to, and he invites her to go to this particular fast food restaurant. And so she goes, and then he finds out that his very nerdy family is there in the booth with him. The end. And they wanted to know if that would make me want to eat more food. And everybody else thought it was hilarious and they loved it. And I says, this commercial tells me that only losers eat your food. <laughs> and that you have to bribe people to come come eat with you there. And uh, 
I guess that was sort of the wet blanket on most of them. I pointed out at the end that almost every one of their commercials involved people having fantasies that they could replace their spouse with somebody else. Um, there was a woman who actually poisoned her food in the kitchen so that she could get uh, her children to go to a fast food restaurant instead. And almost everyone was a, was a fantasy where like parents were turning into unicorns or, or people were changing into something else as part of the commercial. And I pointed out that all of them were sorcery based and nobody seemed to appreciate that comment. No, no. So I think my dose of uh, internet fringe radio has somehow isolated me from the general public. <laughs> from, from fast food focus group public. <laughs> Well, what would be called normal people in the rest of the world. So um, it was a fascinating thing because it really showed one the, the demeaning nature of how they how lowly they regard the public. You know the the, the low primitive level of of uh, communication. It's almost as bad as texting, as far as just you know a, a very primitive way to pass on uh, thoughts and ideas. And, and it's like P.T. Barnum, you know, a sucker's born every minute. They shoot for the bottommost level, and people seem to respond to it. And it's, I don't know, it's chicken and the egg. Do they do that because the people really are there, or do the people become and respond to the lowest denominator because it's all they're fed? And I don't know what it is, but it, I, but it really I, can you help I lean pay. toward uh, people, people are led around by the entertainment and media. Ding, not ding, the other ding, way ding, around. ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's not a symbiotic relationship. You know, I, I'm not saying you could uh, switch everyone back to like classical music and and you know uh, like great it. literature overnight, but I think it has been a deliberate um, yeah. process of dumbing down and um, degrading standard. I mean, you know, to use someone we talked about earlier, Patrick McEwen, um he thought there should be no kissing on camera on television. Right. That's right. So, I mean, imagine. Or, or that gunplay should not be used to resolve the situation. Yeah, it was all. So, yeah, it's, and look how far, how far we've come from that. You can imagine how despondent he was at the end of his life. And hopefully, uh, I, I gather he was a man of some faith, and I hope he's at a place where his values reign in the kingdom where he is now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that was quite an experience here. I, I really felt like an outlier because I was instinctively, just because of the way we've done our shows and how our communications have evolved over the years, instinctively tried to figure out what are they trying to tell me about myself <laughs> And about my relationship to this product. Mm-hmm. And I find that the overwhelming amount of people um, don't even stop to ponder that. They don't have any kind of internal self-reflection. Of, of what, am I a trained SEAL? Uh, right. or, or am I really consciously participating in the process of where I'm being led? And as we know, the same thing's true for the news that we watch on TV and Anything else we're indoctrinated. Well, I'll stick. Absolutely. I'll stick to my three or four dollar a cup, 
organic coffee made by a, a hipster with a giant beard and uh, some <laughs> some locally yes. sourced farm fresh eggs and sausage and uh, and the and the people who told you that that's what you have to have <laughs> <laughs> precisely the people that said that a dollar cup of coffee is no good because they had a six dollar cup to offer hey but I I'll tell you what I, I'm excited Tim because. Uh, we stopped by the grocery store in the place where we're moving to. Oh, tell me good news. And uh, Tell me it's a, was- raw- a regular Washingtonian grocery store. Yes, raw milk right there. Raw milk in the grocery store, larger, you- larger organic section. Yep. Woo-hoo! You don't have to. It's not like a you know, tiny yeah. bit of ro- rotting organic fruit in the corner. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They better prepare for a raid from the feds. Then they they sound like virtually like terrorists, <laughs> yeah. offering raw milk. Yeah. So we're going to have to get the feds in and get in no warning shots. You know, they need to go like Elliot Ness and take some hatchets in there and start breaking all those bottles. Oh, don't encourage them. They'll end up shooting the dog and the, anybody else. Uh, Doctor Future. I appreciate you coming on the yes. show in such short notice. Your book is scheduled to come out before 2015? Uh, yeah, somewhere in that neck of the woods. It's a five-volume series. Okay. The Holy War Chronicles, A Spiritual View of the War on Terror. Um, trying to run third base right now on it. I've, I've got to split it up into some chapters and some other stuff. But manuscript's getting done, and also there'll be a follow-on book after that that's already been written called The Hidden Hand and Gifts of God Fears. You know, I plagiarize a good bit of Andrew's work and maybe add a couple extra sentences. You, you know what you can do is you can release volume one, and then while we're re- reading that one, you can work on and then release volume two, and, and you don't have to release all five at once. Just Yeah, and you know what will happen? I release volume one, and then everybody says, where's the next one, where's the next one, where's the next one? That's what you want, though. like, desperate, desperately trying to package and make sense of a, make a purse out of a sow's ear. I'd, I'd rather have it all tied up with a bow and spend that extra time just getting around and chatting on shows like yours in between their release. And so it may be madness, but it's a method to my madness. I I know. There are there's there's some massive massive upheaval and moving of data and books and information and chapters from one volume to the next. So, but Doctor um, Future, I do want to remind you that I I've sold hundreds of books, <laughs> hundreds. <laughs> so clearly, I know what I'm talking about here. I, and I know you're setting a bar to intimidate me to know that I can never reach. And I so. and I. Uh, <laughs> I do my Scrooge McDuck money swim every day in the mountains yeah. of cash that I'm earned from the from book sales. You just kick, kick it around. Well, that's the reason I'm doing this is because I heard it was the ticket to wealth. Yeah, <laughs> and that people will respond and they'll line right up and buy the books. Yep, especially uh, long, detailed, very intelligent books. People love those these days. Right, because people generally have very long attention spans, I find. <laughs> yeah. And and they'll stick with you in the long haul. They're not they're not fidgety or fickle. So I'm I'm counting on that as well too. So 
you know, it, of course they, uh, they all wear Victorian dresses and ride the big bicycles with the big wheel in the front too. So that's the it, kind of world I like to stay in. In in all seriousness though, um, I would say probably the amount of, uh, digital copies versus physical copies. Yeah. Um, is probably about 20 to one now. Wow. Wow. So, really? 20, 20 digital to one physical copy. And that's that's the ones that the feds can just turn a switch and erase them all, right? You're going to have to get over your phobia of that because it's <laughs> going to be the biggest way yeah. it gets out. They may change it on you. They may actually change it on you in the future. But I'm telling you, that's what that's how most people are reading these days. It's simple. It's easy. It's usually a little bit cheaper. And uh, instead of going to the store, you can just, you know, thumb through yeah. it right there. They'll be in all forms of communication that will be released. Hologram. Uh, as I mentioned the Akashic record will straight, have it. So straight to movie. Any yeah, so any way you, you can reach it. One of the things, as I mentioned before, about a Kindle version is that it'll you know, things will be hot linked. And except for a few old books I reference, so there's tens of thousands of references in this. And most of them are things that people would never believe unless they read it with their own eyes. And they'll all be hot linked in there so people can go verify what I'm saying with the hot links. And that's that's a nice feature of electronic books. Yep. Otherwise, people would actually have to type in the URL themselves, sure. book, which actually, I know is asking way too much of people. It is actually sometimes. Does yours actually do that, Andrew? Because I know your footnotes are full of links. Does the Kindle, well, Kindle I, version hot link? I think it, mine was early enough. You know, I mean, you give them the PDF or whatever, and it's kind of up to them what they do with it. Okay. Okay, yeah. And I I don't think they did. No, now, yeah, now, I don't think they. Nowadays, I would, you have to format it. You don't even give them a PDF. It's kind of it's kind of come a little ways. They want you to do more work. Right. Well, I'm expecting that certain foreign overseas intelligence agencies will actually hack hack those websites that I cite because of the impact I'm expecting of the book and the tens of people who read it. The tens. There you go. The tens. Maybe dozens. Well, and well. and then uh, one other thing I'll put out there without really putting it out there, but you may play a role, may or may not play a role in an upcoming documentary that may or may not be released. Is that correct? Uh, I'm not saying anything else. I'm not saying anything else. Well, can I can but, I can I at but, least say that something may be said? Yeah, it will be said on your show. Well, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, and and uh, let's make it a date. We'll just play from there. And it might it well. I think it's going to beat out, uh, if, if something like that were to happen, it will probably beat out my books by a short bit anyway. So sure, that would it'll be, be slightly more imminent. Yeah, that would be coming first. Okay. 2019, 2020, somewhere in there. <laughs> well, in the year 2525, 25, this man is still alive. This woman can survive. Is, it, yeah. is this H.G. Wells' 2525, where there's a two species, one that eats the other? No, you just. Well, I was talking about Zager and Evans. In you, the you year just passed 20, on gen, huh? generation to to generation. Perhaps your generation will be the one to see Doctor Future's books in print. <laughs> when there's dome cities, they have monorails that go from one city to the next. Okay. Sort of like Walt Disney's vision. In, in all seriousness, there is one person or one two two people. I think you should check out if you haven't looked at them. Doctor Future, James and Joanne Moriarty. Have you found them? 
No. It, wasn't he the guy that fought Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> Very good. That was, a, that was a different Moriarty. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm dead serious. James and Joanne okay. Moriarty go to LibyanWarTheTruth.com. These are two Christian people who are in the oil business who were in Libya when it fell. And, huh. and uh, they, they uh, are now marked by the uh, U.S. intelligence establishment. They've been soft-killed. They have had all of their wealth taken from them. Their company has been bankrupt. They uh, have had uh, drugs planted on them. Uh, in order to uh, get them to stop talking. But, of course, uh, James Corbett found him. They went on their show. Uh, I hope in the future we can have him on our show, actually. Wow. Uh, just a couple okay. of Christians who were in Libya when it fell and kind of understand uh, the cooking up of the war on terror that's happening as far as, uh, you know. And these and these are the, these are the uh, flag-waving, proud-to-be-American types yeah. who witnessed this event and have, you know, just been irreparably changed. So they made the mistake of actually learning something. I'll send you. A, I'm emailing you a link as we speak to their, one of their more recent interviews. Uh, but I'd so appreciate it. I do. I do encourage you. You do that now. I'm sure that Andrew is going to get on to me for doing this because I might have just extended the book out another month or two <laughs> by adding. <laughs> well, no, really the. The problem I have with getting my book done is people call at the last minute and unexpected and want you to do long interviews <laughs> on the radio. Yeah. Every every year we do. Every year. Yeah. That's true. Though. Even the guys that don't email me still do it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if you have my new email address. <laughs> okay. I didn't even know you were even alive. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, the great Andrew Hoffman, do you have anything to say? We got to try and wrap this up somehow. I got to put a bow on it. I don't know how I'm going to spend hours and Dr. Future, you understand. I'm going to spend yeah, countless you know, hours. Here's what you do. You this. don't edit it. You just put one big massive 16 hour long show up like I used to do. There you go. Let people set through every excruciating minute of it. Well, no, put well, just split it up into two parts and and put the first part out this week and the next part out next week cuz I'll be uh, moving and starting a new job, and who knows if we're going to get a show in. So that means Doctor Future, you're my guest next week. There you go. Uh -oh. Well, this is while Andrew is rendering to Caesar. That's right. Yeah, a new Caesar. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, it's been a blast to be with you. Uh, sorry, I've been deep, deep, deep undercover, but. I hope some of the stuff that I document, some of it's going to be, I think, some surprises, even for some of your listeners. But uh, the best thing about it is it takes all the stuff that we talk about here and there in little little bits and pieces and puts it hopefully in an orderly fashion mm -hmm. that you can give to your relatives and other people who are worried about your sanity. And it steps them right through with real references that are reputable. Uh, you know, I, I show the domestic terror program that was run in the 70s by the FBI, that uh, right-wing groups that were being formed like the Minutemen where they were shooting people and, and all sorts of other stuff that makes some of the claims you allege about the war on terror not seem so crazy anymore. So um, I, I hope it'll be worth the wait for folk when they get their hands on it. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. I look forward to reading it. I look forward to uh, to having you on to talk about it. And uh, as usual, it's uh, been fun. 
keep us in your thoughts as you go forth and accomplish big things. Just don't forget the, the little guys that uh, harassed you on your way to the top. Uh, you guys are the ones that are loved by millions, including Mr. Corbett. You know, I'm just a shut-in here in the house with Pyro. My little cabin like Ted Kaczynski, right in a way. We just want so, to get as many uh, listeners as uh, MSNBC has viewers, which is a pretty modest goal. I think you did that a long time ago. <laughs> so. All right. When we got to seven, we were there. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you have a bigger budget to them, too, it seems like. Yeah. No, no, GE doesn't uh, throw money our way. So. <laughs> Oh, they don't. We we get uh, all the Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos money out here in the great Northwest. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I get mine mostly from uh, overseas intelligence organizations. <laughs> that keeps my empire running. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, guys, if you'll have me back on sometime, uh, I'd love to come on. You know, I always have an opinion. It's just not always a good one or an informed one. <laughs> That doesn't stop me from opening my mouth. But uh, say hey to all the Futurians out there and all the, what do you call them, Newsians? I don't know what y'all call them, the Revelators that listen to your show? Yeah. Cult members, whatever you're uh, called. Well, we just call them... Uh, uh, Militants. Bob, Jeff, and Sue. <laughs> okay. Okay. We call them mili- <laughs> We call them Militants. <laughs> Well, that's a very intimate relationship here with your audience. That's very nice. <laughs> Makes a Christmas card list manageable. There you go. But, but uh, it's been great to be with you all, and uh, thanks for the uh, unsolicited call that you made here. Yeah, thanks for and, producing uh, content with, at the snap of a finger. Yeah, Indeed. It, it, that's about all you say, content. Well, when, there's a, when there's a gap of three weeks between shows, you know, you, you get Dr. Future after it. So it's, a, it's worth yeah. the wait out there, people. Oh, so <laughs> as an actual, literal wrap-up, happy 4th of July to you two. Happy 4th of July to the listeners. Uh, go out there and celebrate. What are we celebrating again? Uh, capitalism. Uh, uh, imperialism. Okay. Is, that, is that it? I think, I think imperialism. Go out there and make your American streets sound like the streets of Iraq. Well, come on, man. I mean, you know, the 4th of July <laughs> good. I've got a soft spot for the 4th of July, Independence Day. I just can't wait to be yeah. thanked for my service again tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. Just just dress up like Blackwater and just fire them out randomly at people. T- Tim, what I, what I want you to say, though, every time someone says that to you is, oh, I didn't actually fight in the Revolutionary War. Just, just tell people that. <laughs> I'm going to tell him what you told me. Thank you for not serving. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could just say, every time I killed a baby, I thought about you back home. <laughs> I did it for you. There you go. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, this is going to be an unbelievable pile of rambling to edit. I don't know how to make it into a coherent show, but I've sure enjoyed the talk, you guys. 
copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com. And thank you for your support of this podcast. Also, if anybody out there uh, wants to co-host the show, we're taking applications. Uh, ready, ready, and willing. Whenever Tim doesn't uh, text me about doing a show, I just assume he's found somebody else finally. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've got some candidates for my show. There was some guy that invented an argon energy generator on our show. He might be a good co-host for you. There you go. Yeah, he, he could. Uh, you could, you could be the main sponsor and the co-host. Uh-huh. Now, Thor, if you're out there, this might be your opportunity too. <laughs> to come out of the closet in the Pentagon. Come, come back from Venus. Yes. <laughs> Remember, don't forget. Look up Valiant Thor and his brother Don Thor and Jill. Well, I, no one's still listening to the podcast because everyone went to go research that the first time you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. I'm sorry. I apologize about that. I just didn't mean to start a rush. I probably crashed the website. I have no idea what you're talking about. My dad used to go on Sunday mornings to the uh, to the donut shop, and he would bring back a, a big bunch of donuts. But there would always be a couple of chocolate donuts. I take the chocolate donuts and lick them, and put them back in the box. <laughs>